Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Seth and Punishment. And I'm Mayor Eric Hagar. Can can you believe it, Seth? It finally happened! Whoa, are, are you serious? Nintendo finally announced the June Direct? How'd I miss it? Oh, no, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. I'm talking about all of the news this week. Presentations, Demon T. Shredder's Revenge, Neon White, Amori! It all happened this week! Yeah, it's another huge week, but we still have no clue when Nintendo is going to finally give the date for the June Direct. In the meantime, at least we had another amazing Direct to watch. Because this week in the Top 5, we're counting down the games that the Wholesome Direct got us most excited about. Yes! And I know you must be excited too, Seth. I saw all the rumors before the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. I know you must be excited they announced a new Banjo-Kazooie. Hang on, what? No. No, they no, they didn't. I would know if they did. They did not. Oh, my mistake. You mean to tell me that we can't believe every single rumor online? Well, anyway, as long as we're talking about these long dormant franchises, you know, maybe it's just time that we took a really long look at that. I mean, what do we even want to see from them anymore? Should they even come back at all? Yeah, well, I mean, as long as we're dreaming, we've got a special treat in this week's Indie Showcase. Coming hot off the one more thing moment at last week's amazing day of the devs, Dave Morrow from Dysoft is joining us to talk about the upcoming Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland live now on Kickstarter. Yes! Shajima Pajima, Seth! Oh, I'm ready to do this. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. We are so thrilled to be bringing you another episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. There is so much to do, so much to see. Mm-hmm. This week, a massive, massive week of news, of course, presentations to talk about. Not, not now, not the big one. Still not the big one. Somehow, some way. <laughs> still waiting on nintendo still sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting on that nintendo direct i know there's all these rumors and stuff but we were really kind of thinking like we we were like you know what if if it's gonna happen it's probably gonna be this week and the week's come and gone eric hasn't happened you know when i specifically specifically predicted that it was going to happen either the 15th or the 16th. Yeah. I very openly predicted that on a couple separate platforms this show being one of them and uh, I can report now that Nintendo has apparently switched plans in reaction to my reporting. <laughs> in solidarity. Um, so I'll take the hit for that, ladies and gentlemen. I'll try not to be too on the pulse next time in, you know, j- just to make sure that stuff like this doesn't happen in the future. So. Well, good. We appreciate uh, that. That one's on me. That one's on me, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. <laughs> but, but your dreams have still come true because you still get to hang out with us. That's true. Live on twitch.tv slash all in podcast. That's true. Every Friday night we do the, uh, the first segment of our show live and that is no different tonight. So huge thanks to everybody watching live. Um, but actually before we get into everything, let's take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Let's talk about Patreon. 
Um, Super huge thank you to a few people. Yes. I mean, we, we launched our Patreon last week. Um, kind of in celebration of our second birthday and just the the support that we saw from people. Um, we just want to send a huge, huge thanks to uh, to everybody. And as people who have looked at the Patreon over at patreon.com slash all in podcast will know when you support us at a at the golden banana or Triforce tier, you do get shout outs on the podcast on both this and on keep Nintendo weird. You do get live shout outs. So we're going to go ahead and do that and shout out our Golden Banana and Triforce tier patrons. Starting with the Golden Banana tier, we've got Dan from RetroLogic, the great Dan Caparello. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dan. Uh, one, one of my favorite people in the entire world. We've got Solo Something, Estin, treasured community member at the Golden Banana tier. We really appreciate him. We've got John Cummins. One of the other RetroLogic hosts, as well as the host of On Topic Retro, we've got Matt Shy Guy City Murray, my arch nemesis, <laughs> your, your <laughs> rival, which we'll get into shortly. We will talk about that shortly. We've got Rob Yapel, longtime fan and supporter of All In. Huge shout outs to uh, to Rob Yapel. Uh, in the Golden Banana tier. And then in the Triforce tier patrons, we've got Josh Vaughn, another longtime supporter of my stuff, going all the way back to, like, my old podcast. Like, Josh Vaughn has been a supporter of mine for, like, probably over a decade at this point. Um, we've got Tim A., Tim Off of the Nintendo Dads, who in his Patreon says, Tim A., a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad number four. So... <laughs> So big shout outs to to Tim. We've got Sparky at the Triforce tier. Thank you so much, Sparky, for your support. Yeah. We love Sparky. Always having some great insight in the community. Uh, we love to hear from Sparky, and he has given us just uh, an amazing level of support here on Patreon. And then finally, Randy Bryans, my uncle Randy, supported us at the Triforce <laughs> tier. So hey, Uncle Randy, nice. if you're listening to this, I'm confident he's never listened to an episode of this show, <laughs> but. Huge shout out but to he's Uncle supporting Randy. you, and that's, yeah. and that's what matters. It's sweet, man. He, that's he's, what a, matters. he's a great person. I love I love my Uncle Randy. So um, huge shout outs to everybody who has supported us on Patreon thus far. And the one-up tier people, we don't want to forget you either. We we love the one-up tier people, but um, if you want the, the shout out here on the show, you got to be at the Golden Banana or Triforce tier uh, level, man. Yeah, and in our first week here on Patreon, we've had, we had a ton of people say, you guys should have a Patreon. I would absolutely support it. Yeah. And here in the first week, uh, those were proven to not be empty promises. Yeah. So thank you all. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the people showed up, dude. And um, I mean, we could always have more, of course. Everybody's of welcome. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. There's, I mean... Again, we're, we're not going to get into everything. We kind of broke it down a lot last week. But if you go to patreon.com slash all in podcasts, we, we hope you'll agree. There's a lot of value there. Um, there's a whole other podcast there. We're going to be doing live uh, monthly AMA hangouts with our community. You can have voting rights on the podcast, on the video stuff. Um, so if you're a fan of anything we do, there really is, I think, a lot of value there. Uh, on Patreon. So huge thanks and shout outs, as always, to our patrons. Um, in terms of what's been going on with the Patreon this week, we of course have another episode of SideQuest, which is our weekly podcast. The first episode that we had go live at the same time the Patreon did was about PlayStation. This one's about Xbox. Um, so we broke down the Xbox and Bethesda. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, (laughs) it was a saucy one. We broke down the Xbox and Bethesda showcase. We talked about sort of like leak culture and we, we kind of got into that. And we talked about um, sort of the 
histories that we both have with the Xbox brand. So it's, it's a really good episode. And uh, that's, again, a whole other podcast that we do just for Golden yeah. Banana Tier and Up patrons. So head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and check all of that out. But, sir, what's been going on with sir? you this week? Sir. Sir. Yeah, definitely definitely make sure to check out those couple side quests for just the price of a mocha. You can get access yeah. to a whole other brand new show that we do here specifically for our patrons. Definitely make sure to check that out. In terms of what's happened with me, uh, I will start by saying this might be a hot take, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that the Wholesome Games Direct from last weekend was actually a very good show. You know what? I'm going to go out take. on a limb. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm willing to die on that hill. It was a it was a pretty good show. We're going to be talking about it quite a bit later mm-hmm. during a certain countdown segment that we like to do each week. But I'm just going to go ahead and say that they did wind up releasing a couple games. They wound up shadow dropping a couple games from the Wholesome Games Direct, including a delightful little adventure game called Lumbear Jack. <laughs> Lumbear Jack, which Lumbear Jack which I just looked at and I could not stop myself from picking up. And I wound up playing through it this past week. And it's not very long, probably only take you a couple hours, but it was delightful. <laughs> it was absolutely delightful. That was the word that kept going through my head uh, as I was playing it. It was absolutely charming. You play as this lumberjack uh, bear named Jack, whose mission it is to stop the evil works corporation from all their you know from polluting and deforestation and and all you know (laughs) all of those tried and true evil construction company tropes and you do it with your trusty axe which you can use to cut basically anything in half you run around as jack it's essentially a one button game but you go around as jack cutting just everything and half cutting signs and barrels and all the way up to massive machinery. But you actually have to use, uh, you actually have to use the items. You have to use the parts that you collect from cutting up other things, cutting up smaller things. And you can use that to improve your ax to cut bigger and, uh, to, to cut much bigger objects, including heavy machinery. <laughs> Uh, there are 20 separate scenarios that will probably take you about three to six minutes each. There's a ton of personality in the game, though. Each of the stages has its own opening and closing cutscenes. I I love how as you continue to, as you continue to cut stuff up, as you continue to get rid of the evil stuff, the forest will actually come back a la stuff like Okami. You can actually see the forest and the environment return in real time as you continue to fully clear out different sections of each level. There is some light puzzle solving involved. They do change up the gameplay a little bit with some sports-themed stages, which are absolutely adorable. But it's simple, and it's not going to take you very long, but again, it was just absolutely delightful. My absolute favorite thing about the game, though, is you do encounter a lot of humans because obviously these construction, all this construction equipment has to be manned by somebody. Right. And you encounter a lot of humans while you're going through Lumberjack, and there's no combat in the game. But what you do is Jack, and I sent you a little video of this, Seth. Jack actually walks up to people 
and he slaps them <laughs> so hard they spin around. He slaps them so hard it changes their personality. And they go from being quote-unquote bad humans to quote-unquote good humans. And it's uh, the, the soundtrack, like, it's a full-on... Right. And they spit and they fully spin around. I was dying laughing. Like the first 20 times I did it, I had to stop because it was it was just so funny. And the final time you do it in the game had me actually snorting. Wow. But it's just so satisfying every time you slap a human. It's just it's just so funny. But there's a lot of, you know, little extra things in there. There's a hidden bear trap that you can cut up in each level as a type of collectible. Uh, there's a few video gamey, like uh, there are three separate things that they track for each stage for completion. There's nine separate outfits, each with their own different axes. Wow. So like I said, it's, I think it was like 13 or $17. Right. It's not going to take you that long and it's simple, but it, again, it's delightful really is the best word for it. It's not going to be some type of existential experience that's going to make you redefine your own life it's not going to be some deep game that's going to affect you on an emotional level but it is just like i finished it and i just had a huge smile on my face i was like i was really happy i did that would you go as far as to call it wholesome (laughs) i would call it quite wholesome (laughs) quite wholesome i mean it's just great because you start off in these construction environments and by the time you're done there are these verdantly wooded areas and like i said not only does the environment just uh react and return in real time but there are these huge like flower flourishes and and stuff it's it's really cool i love that it's really cool not super deep not super long but absolutely delightful so well done final boss games uh with lumbear jack if you're looking for that type of you know short but very sweet type of wholesome experience, I do very highly recommend Lumbear Jack. Yeah, I got to check it out. I got to check it out. But, I mean, that's just Lumbear Jack. The releases from this past week, ladies and gentlemen, have been nuts. Absolutely insane. Just in the past couple days alone, three games have dropped on the Nintendo Switch that are probably going to wind up getting shouted out come Golden Ace season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've already run credits on one of them. I could not stop myself. When it dropped Thursday, I absolutely picked up TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, even though I've still got my collectors, my physical collectors coming from Limited Run Games with that personal pan pizza. (laughs) I, I had to pick it up. I had to play it. And I can say with complete confidence, especially, especially if you are a fan of the original cartoon series from 30 years ago, it's just a buffet. It's an absolute buffet. It is nearly the perfect beat em up. It is absolutely fantastic. Seven playable characters the Turtles, Splinter, April O'Neil, Casey Jones is an unlockable character. Uh, so, so many characters, so, so many characters from that original series appear in the game, either in cameo, like unlockable secret cameo form or as bosses at the end of stages. Tribute, though, Tim, if you want to make a fighting game based on the roster of characters, please, yes, thank you, and I'll take 10. That'd be awesome. If you just want to make, like, a new TMNT tournament fighters, I would, yes, please do that. But just this game, it's it's so good. And it plays so, so beautifully. You have so many different options. Each character has so many different options. You have... 
your your normal light attack combo. But if you hit forward and light attack, it switches to a heavy or a medium attack rather, and you can charge up that attack into a heavy charge attack. So even though there's like one normal attack button, you still have three separate ways to enter combos. You still have a traditional light, medium, and heavy. You've got slide attacks. You've got jump attacks. You have a double jump. You have different jump attacks depending on whether you're doing a single or a double jump. You've got multiple different super attacks for a super bar that fills a lot quicker than you'd think it would. And maybe my favorite, maybe my favorite innovation, which I don't think anybody is going to talk about, but my favorite innovation, I think, in this game, as far as the gameplay, is the fact that, and this is something we've talked about in regards to beat-em-ups, is the fact that sometimes it looks like you're on the same plane as an enemy character, and then you attack and you completely whiff for some reason. Right. Even though it looks like you're on the same plane as that enemy Nothing character. Nothing worse than that. Nothing worse than that it's feeling. It's so annoying. You whiff, and then they wind up hitting you. That's so annoying. Yeah. It just always felt janky. Even in newer beat-em-ups, even in Streets of Rage 4, that happens. Mm-hmm. But in this game, in this game, if you're actually close to an enemy and close to the same plane, when you're attacking, it will actually like lock on it'll straight up like adjust dude game changer so just that alone just that little piece alone is probably my favorite innovation in beat-em-ups in the past 30 years (sighs) the fact that it actually adjusts it recalibrates what plane you're on so that you don't whiff because the game realizes that you're trying to attack that enemy yeah and then it adjusts so that you're both on the same plane. It adjusts you down or adjusts you up based on your positioning. Thank you, Dotimu. Thank Bless you. Bless you. So, so Bless much you, that. kings and queens. <laughs> that makes the game so much more playable. Yeah. So much more playable. So much more fun. But there's so many of the classic enemies uh, from the old turtle beat-em-ups appear. All the robots that you remember from those old TMNT beat-em-ups, those come back. All the different multicolor, like Mortal Kombat, multicolor Foot Clan ninjas, all 50 billion colors of yes. them, they all come back. You've got, oh man, it's it's just great. It's longer than you think it would be. It's 16 chapters. It's 16 stages. There's secrets, collectibles. Each stage has challenges. It's just, like I said, nearly the perfect beat-em-up. If you're a fan of beat-em-ups, it's a must-play. If you're a fan of Turtles in general, much less the original animated series from the early 90s, if you're a fan of Turtles in general, this is an absolute must-play. Maybe the best Turtles game of all time. Wow. I I struggle to think of a better one off the top of my head. We're certainly going to see with the uh, Cowabunga collection coming out a little later. We'll be able to tell you more definitively after we get our hands on the Cowabunga collection. But I'm tempted to say it's the best Turtles game of all time, which considering some of the games we've gotten in the past, I know I know that it's a close a close race between this and TMNT Smash Up, but I think <laughs> Shredder's Revenge outpaces it just a little bit. Don't don't get them started on TMNT Smash Up. Don't get them started. No, really, don't get me started. <laughs> uh, but also, also, Retromania. Retromania. Yeah, man. Finally, finally, we got the Nintendo Switch update for the first content patch for Retromania, which already somehow has come out almost a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
released February, I think February or early March 2021 last year. Had Mike on one of, I think, episode six. Yeah, it was of early. This show, episode mm-hmm. six or seven. We had him on super early to talk about Retromania. I absolutely adore this game. They added Dashing Chris Bay as a new wrestler. They added three new arenas, a ton of gameplay improvements and fixes. And we already know what the next DLC is going uh, is going to be. We've got Mr. Hughes and Cowboy James Storm coming at some point. I know Mike is working as hard as he can over there. Uh, again, it's been about a year and a half since the game came out for us to get just even this. So I, I hope it's not another year and a half before we get the next patch, uh, the next content update. But I just I hope they keep building on this game because I, I really like this game so much. It's such a fantastic arcade style pro wrestling game. Uh, just just keep chugging along, Mike. Keep chugging along, man. Keep it's chugging great. along. It's fantastic. Even me, I mean, we did an indie showcase on that game. Even me as somebody who's not as engrossed in the world of professional wrestling like you are, um, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it just as kind of a, you know, you could totally just button mashy, total arcadey experience, <laughs> you know. You could totally pull it off. It's it's just fun. It's just a simple, fun game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't checked. I haven't had time to check this out yet. I don't know if they've actually added the next couple chapters to the game's story mode. Oh, uh, okay. I, I don't know if that's part of the patch. I'll have to double check on that. But they did add a bunch of new content. And again, hoping to get more content. Uh, hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll certainly see. But... It's just been so much. That's all I've really had time for in addition to everything else that's been going on. But there's some other stuff that I really, really want to play. One of which, Seth, you have been spending quite a bit of time with. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we should just get that out of the way first. Um, Yep. Neon White. Uh, y'all know, (laughs) y'all know how much I've been looking forward to Neon White. It was, it was one of the games released this week, just this, this smattering of amazing, uh, independent games released this week. And neon white has just completely consumed me since it dropped. It's, it's all I want to do. It's all I want to play. Seth's a speedrunner now, folks. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. I, 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 and, and like, it really helps. I think the thing that really elevates neon white beyond, I already loved the game before it came out. I literally fell in love with it in real time, playing it for steam next fest. You can go see it happen on YouTube. Like I, I love that game. It plays like butter. I, I love. It's kind of like a puzzle shooter almost, and I love the speed, kind of the speed running aspect. But what really elevates it and the vibes and the music. But getting to play it with people, not with people, it doesn't have co-op. But uh, getting to play it with my arch nemesis here in chat, Shy Guy City, <laughs> pops up in chat. Um, getting to play it with the community. Um, has been such a joy getting to post up on the leaderboard and like shy guy city and I dude have just been at each <laughs> other's throats with these times. Yeah. So, yeah. So we actually, I created a neon white channel in the discord knowing that it would basically just be him and I, cause I like the, we needed a home for it. We couldn't just have like this overlong Twitter thread, um, of him and I just, uh, just smack talking. That's each still going to happen though. Probably so. Probably so. Um, but so we, we get in there and like he was telling me when he played the game, I played it a little bit Thursday morning. Like the second it dropped, I had a stream, uh, played it for about an hour and a half. And then I like shy guy was saying like, Oh, like I'm not allowing myself to move on until I beat all of your times. And I was like, Oh, yeah. that this will not stand. 
So later that night, I hopped back on stream and I spent a good 40 minutes just beating all of his times. And then like, and then he, he uh, tweeted at me later on that evening. He was like, yeah, I woke up. All I was thinking about was neon white. And I was like, check those leaderboards yet. And he was, and he, he was like, give me just a second. He looks at it and he's like, oh, heck no. no! He said, oh, heck no. And it's like, Seth. it was like four o'clock in the morning and he's beating some of my times again. And I'm like, how much do I really need to sleep? How much do I really need this sleep right now? <laughs> I hopped on there and like, I, I like ended up getting in the top 10, like global, like for, for this one particular level that we were going back and forth in. And then he told me, he was like, yeah, like I've been trying to beat your time on this stage. I can't do it. You know, and he has a stage. I, I like I can't beat his time. Like it's just so brutal. And then he managed to beat it today by a millisecond. A millisecond. <laughs> and now I'm just like I'm freaking out. I'm like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to get this time faster. It's just going to be pure <laughs> luck if I get it. You know. Anyway, so all that to say that Neon White as a game mechanically is wonderful, smartly designed, runs like butter on the Switch, 60 frames per second. Like, no complaints. Masterful level design. Great music. Great 2AM Adult Swim anime vibes. But it's this. It is It is this experience of playing it with the people in our community and, and this rivalry I have with Shy Guy that has elevated it to being on my short list of favorite games of the year. Like, it is some of the most fun I have ever had in video games, just this back and forth and just experiencing this with everybody. It has been incredible. Like I, I just, I love it so much. Um, I, I, I don't have enough nice things to say about neon white. It's, it's phenomenal. There's um, just, there's so, so much. I mean, between this and neon white and you and I are definitely going to have to be getting online in TMNT. Yes. And obviously we've got Mario strikers with our, with our all in battle club, with our strike club yeah. that we're going to be taking. There's just so much awesome multiplayer community driven games. We're just, we are uh, again, just the buffet, just spoiled. You've got <laughs> Homer in the donut machine. Just, uh, um, more. Um, yeah. Um. yeah. Like I, I haven't even touched shredders revenge yet. Like you yeah. and I are probably going to play it this weekend. And, and like, that's probably going to be the first time I'll touch it. There's a new monster hunter rise sunbreak demo. I haven't touched that. Oh man. Yeah. I, I haven't touched it either. I want to play it. It looks really good. The jungle area looks amazing. I want to take on Melzano. I mean, obviously when we get the, when we get it proper, when we get sunbreak proper, you and I are going to be at the hunter's guild. Oh yeah. No, at dawn we ride. <laughs> yeah, man. I just like, like there's so much in like neon white, just like I've probably already spent like six to eight hours in that game just since it came out on yeah. third, like, like literally, uh, on, on Thursday morning, you know, like I, I've, I've just spent, I just, I love that game. Um, had a new episode of keep Nintendo weird happened this week with our friend, Tony Grayson. Um, yeah, from hey, Summit Tony. Sphere. Yeah, that was that it's was happy hour. It's happy hour. Uh, we talked about the Wario Land series, so that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Um, had that happen, and as you're listening to this, you still have a couple of days to go yes. over to Kickstarter and back Ants and Blast and do that. Do yeah. that. We've already got it on the Nintendo Switch, but there's still a chance that they could get it for Xbox and for PlayStation. And we would love our green and blue branded brethren 
to be able to experience this phenomenal little 2D platformer they're making over at Summit Sphere. So do go ahead and back that if you can. Yeah. Yeah. We had Tony on to, to chat about Anton Blast a couple of weeks ago. And, and like, again, just between that, between having him on Keep Nintendo Weird, like the passion going into that game is so obvious. So uh, definitely support Anton Blast while you still have the chance. Keep Nintendo Weird has happened. It was it was time to come back with that show. Everything's been so crazy. I haven't even had time to like line things up for new episodes. So it was great to be able to do that. Um, the last thing I'll shout out. Well, I'll shout out two things real quick. First of all, uh, Steam Next Fest is going on. Um, and I've had a ton of demo videos go up on the YouTube channel. Yep. Um, for those who don't know what I do, I'll, I'll take demos. I'll do the research, put my best foot forward and find out the games that have steam next fest demos that have confirmed Nintendo switch ports. And then I'll go and I'll play those demos to showcase kind of what Nintendo fans could look forward to in the indie space. And I've played a bunch of them by the time it's all said and done. I have had a couple of weird little things that have prevented me from doing a few of the videos, that I wanted to do, I won't get super into it, but when it's all said and done, I'm still probably going to have 11 or 12 videos on the YouTube channel. Um, there have been multiple videos every single day from steam next fest. So, um, if there's been an independent game that is participating that you're looking forward to, I've probably got a video of it on youtube.com slash all in podcast. <laughs> so, um, there, there's actually, I was telling you this, one of the yep. most impressive demos I've played on there is WrestleQuest. Oh, I, I, I kind of wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> You've got to play this game. I know. I want to so badly. When we saw it, I, I think it was an indie world. Yeah, I think it was I think an so. indie world when we first. But just everything they showed off, I'm like, oh, that's genius. Oh, that's so smart. Oh, look at that. That's brilliant. Just everything they showed off seems so interesting, so unique. I, I I really need to I need to own this game. It's and so good. I, I'm kind of a wrestling fan, so <laughs> yeah. No, I it's, really need this game. It's really excellent. I, I love everything they did with that demo. Um, so I I really wanted to shout that out. Um, and then I would say melatonin. Although I didn't have a video for melatonin because calibration stuff is weird with Bluetooth audio, so I couldn't get it to mm. really work. Um. But, but that was really good. We, we may be talking about that a little bit later. Um, but, but yeah, there's a ton of Steam Next Fest demos that I've been playing and having a good time with. Um, and I'll shout out just really quick here at the end, Mysteries Under Lake Ophelia. So um, every week I'll tweet out kind of a streaming schedule thing. Hey, what do you guys want to see me stream this week? And everybody voted for Mysteries Under Lake Ophelia which I was kind of surprised by because I had options on there like more Xenoblade, Monster Hunter. Everybody. Well, you had to finish the trilogy, Seth. I guess so, yeah. It's actually, it's kind of weird. So um, even though they're handled by the same port house, um, Paratopic is actually not made by Bryce Boucher. Um, it's a different developer, but very much in the same style. Mm -hmm. Um so, but Fates and Betula, which is kind of the, the one that everybody latched onto on stream, is made by the same guy who ended up making Mysteries Under Lake Ophelia. So we played that on stream and I just had, I had a really good time with it. Um, I didn't like it as much as Fates and Betula, but it had that similar vibe. Like his games just have a way of being really good stream games. Like they're just really good to just kind of chill out. 
we we were all in this together. We got to see how it ends. We got to, you know, find out what happens. And I came into the game thinking that it was going to be kind of a horror game with a thinly veiled kind of N64 fishing game around it. And it's actually the exact opposite. It's really like for 90% of the game, it really is just kind of like an N64 fishing game. It's like somebody, I mean, he took like Ocarina of Time fishing or like Big the Cat fishing in Sonic Adventure and made a whole game out of it. That's basically what it is. And then it like you're kind of waiting the whole time is this like weird ethereal low poly thing and the whole time you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're like when is this going to get creepy? Like when is this about to get like hor- <laughs> horrific and everything? And eventually it does. But that's not really what the game is about. It takes a long time, not really until the very end that that actually happens. Um, but yeah, otherwise though, it was just a really good chill experience. Really well done. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, his catalog of games, like I'm just, I'm impressed by him as he's like 21, um, you know, just kind of making this stuff in his room, <laughs> you know, he's an impressive guy. I, I like his games a lot. They're great stream games. I still can't get over that weird secret ending for Fatum. Oh, dude. I mean, that was... That was wild. One of the craziest things I've ever seen on the Switch. It was wild. See, we're building it up, and people are thinking it's going to be some genre-defined... It's it's not, but it's still so bizarre and crazy and weird and and cool. Yeah, it is at at the same time the most high-effort and the most low-effort ending possible. (laughs) somehow <laughs> so uh so yeah mysteries under lake Ophelia. and another thing his games are cheap um i played through yeah. it took me a little over three hours to play through mysteries under lake Ophelia, but uh but i mean the game's five dollars and i'm sure there are a million little secrets in there that people are going to be finding for like the next year so um, i'm sure there's multiple endings people in chat were speculating that i got the bad ending maybe i did out but who knows what is bad in that game? Who knows? There, there, there might be ten endings for all I know. Um, so, but anyway, we got an ending, and we we played through Mysteries Under Lake Ophelia on stream, <laughs> and it was a good time. But uh, that's 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 been it for me. I mean, well, that's been it for me. There's been so much going on, but uh, we've got a lot of news to get into. I feel like we should probably get into it. We should probably get into it. Obviously, we're still here in mid June, so that means. All presentations, all the time, 24-7. We don't care what your sleep schedule is. So, let's talk about it. Hey, listen! Uh, Obviously, we're going to be talking about Wholesome Games Direct here in a little while in the top five. But here at the top of the news, let's just go ahead and reiterate... Was a really good show. Yes. Was a really good show. If you're into the indie game scene at all, which I know a lot of our fan base is, you definitely should go back and watch it because even with the top five that we're going to do, they showed off, I think the official number was 90 games. Something like actually, that. It was actually dozens of games that they showed off. And a lot of them were known quantities, but there was just so much that we could take away from the wholesome games direct. And we are going to be getting into that a little bit later, but we are going to effectively start our news roundup with oddly enough, the future game show 
from Summer Game Fest, a presentation that last year I think was notable really only for announcing a character for the, <laughs> at the time, forthcoming Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. I right. think they announced April O'Neil or Garfield or something at some or at uh, Future Game Show last year. Right. And that was kind of the only headline, kind of the only takeaway for us from the 2021 iteration of the Future Game Show. But here... There was actually a few reasons to watch. There were some really cool Nintendo Switchbound games shown off at the future game show. I, Nintendo really should have been at more people should have been advertising this because with the Summer Game Fest kickoff and Day of the Devs and everything like that, everything really felt like it was winding down. The future game show just kind of felt like it was background noise for I a lot of it. people. I skipped it, yeah. literally. But I had it on. I decided to watch. And sure enough, guys, there are a few headlines, a few games that we think you should have on your radar for the future. Uh, Trey Racers is a hilarious uh, little game. It's a great title. In which, yeah, Trey Racers, you it's exactly what it says on the tin. You are racing downhill as weirdly malformed kids on trays, basically. So I don't know how deep the mechanics are going to go. It is kind of cute in a weird, adorably grotesque kind of way. But yeah, that's the whole onus behind the game is it is a downhill racing game where you play as little kids riding on sleds and trays and stuff that they're holding on (laughs) to on both sides. But that was specifically uh, confirmed. That was specifically confirmed for PC and Nintendo Switch from the creator of Fogs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you know that really weird, uh, like cat dog. I was gonna say cat dog simulator. Game, yeah. Yeah, cat dog simulator. It, look look it up and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But yeah, from the creator of Fogs, Trey Racers. Mm-hmm. In addition, a strategy RPG called American Arcadia was confirmed for PC and console. Don't know yet if that means the Nintendo Switch, but I did think it was worth shouting out. It's this really stylistic kind of gangster tactics-based RPG. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of that one that was like Prohibition Era that we've seen come to the Nintendo Switch, but it kind of reminded me of that. This one's just more stylized. Looks like that with Deathloop style, basically. Mm. So American Arcadia... I hope that does wind up coming to the Nintendo Switch. Looks kind of interesting. In addition to that, a game called Lost in Play, which looks super, super interesting. A kind of darkly child, creepy, almost like Coraline-esque type of adventure, specifically, again, confirmed for Steam and Nintendo Switch, actually coming August 10th. Oh, a date. Yeah. A rare, a rare thought- date sighting. Yeah, I, I thought for a second it said 2023, but no, it's coming 10 August this year wow. in just a couple months. So yeah. Lost in Play coming to the Nintendo Switch, that's on my radar. I, I think it should be on yours as well. Again, a kind of Coraline-esque childlike uh, adventure game that looks really, really interesting. In addition to that, not really confirmed for the Nintendo Switch, but a game called Bramble the Mountain King. Okay. That is kind of, it's based on Nordic folklore, Nordic tales. So it's, there's kind of like this little nightmares vibe going along with it, but it has, it doesn't have as grotesque character models. It has much more, 
much more proportioned character models. I don't want to say photorealistic necessarily, sure. but compared to something like Little Nightmares, it is. It's not exaggerated or anything. Yeah, but then you do have like these Nordic folklore monsters that inhabit this world. And not specifically confirmed for the Nintendo Switch, but I really hope it comes. It came to Xbox One, it came to PS4, and I'm hoping that that means it can come to the Nintendo Switch as well, which is why I'm shouting it out here. Uh, Again, check it out, Bramble the Mountain King. That's my wrestling alias, Bramble the Mountain King. That's my wrestling alias. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see your singlet for that. Coming from a game that I think should be able to come to the Nintendo Switch to a game that I audibly cursed when I found out that it was coming to the Nintendo Switch. I looked at the trailer for this and audibly said to myself, this isn't coming to the Switch. Right. And then the Switch logo appeared and I audibly yelled in my own room, what the? Yeah. A game called Bright Memory Infinite coming to the Xbox Series S, Series X, to the PlayStation 5, and somehow also currently announced for the Nintendo Switch. Coming soon, quote-unquote, is all we got. But, I mean, this is a very PS5, a very Xbox Series S, Series X-looking game. Right. I was, again throwing expletives around when I saw the Nintendo Switch logo. That blew my mind. This is very much a next-gen game that surprised me. You know, I don't want to say was buried here on the future game show, but it felt like a game that should have been at the Summer Game Fest kickoff. Mm. Maybe because it's coming to the Nintendo Switch and <laughs> Jeff didn't want to... <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff's still scorned lover over there. <laughs> But yeah, if you like those super high fidelity cinematic might be coming to the cloud because of everything I just said. But if you like those super high fidelity cinematic over the top action games and have been hurting for stuff like that on the Nintendo Switch, definitely have Bright Memory Infinite on your radar. Uh, A game that I'm incredibly happy is coming to the Nintendo Switch, The Last Faith. Right. Yeah, this looks interesting. Yeah, uh, basically it looks like 2D pixelated Elden Ring, and it looks fantastic. The pixel art in this game is amazing. It's beautiful. It looks like there's a, a ton of different weapons. The monsters are beautiful and grotesque and disgusting and obscene and awe-inspiring all at the same time. It just looks absolutely fantastic. There's a ton of games out right now taking obvious inspiration from from software and of all of those games, I think The Last Faith, at least based on the trailer, at least based on initial impressions, has impressed me more so than the vast majority of those other clones, those other clearly inspired by games that we've seen over the past few years. Sure. So if you don't have something that can play Elden Ring, The Last Faith should definitely be able to scratch that itch for a lot of people. I cannot wait for this game to come out. I don't think we got a date on it. It is coming to the PlayStation 5, PS4, Xbox, coming to everything. It's coming to everything. It was specifically also confirmed for the Nintendo Switch. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. It's going to be really, really cool. It looks like Infernax, but like to the nth degree of that. Uh, Yet another game from the future game show. It's called Ship of Fools that's coming this year. No date, but it says it's coming this year to the Nintendo Switch. Kind of, 
it's hard to describe. You're some cute little chibi character stuck on a boat, and it looks almost like a puzzle action game where you have to operate within these within the confines of running around on this small boat in the middle of the screen while dodging different attacks and different things. It kind of looks like a full screen representation of the box in Undertale where you have to mm, dodge attacks. Right. So if you've played Undertale and you know what I'm talking about, the the battle system in Undertale, you play as this little heart in this box at the bottom of a screen. And a lot of the attacks that are thrown your way you can actually freely move within this box to dodge a lot of those attacks to dodge the damage. And imagine Ship of Fools, based on the trailer that I saw, based on what we saw at Future Game Show, imagine that essentially as just a full screen representation of that from Undertale. That's kind of the best way that I can describe it based on what we saw. Okay. And just based on that, I'm intrigued to play it. I'm intrigued to see how deep they kind of take that, how deep the rabbit hole goes on that doesn't necessarily look like it's going to blow anybody away at least based on the trailer but it looks unique and it looks interesting which are a couple of the reasons that we love the indie game scene so much amen yeah and i'm going to shout out batora lost haven is a game we've talked about a couple times but i thought there was a really good trailer here at the future game show i'm a little bit more interested in it now than i was yeah so batora coming autumn this year yeah i played that one lost haven I, yeah, I played we'll I, I played that one on Steam Next Fest. I, to be honest, I wasn't super hot on it. Um, but you know, I, I'm you know I'm willing. It had an interesting kind of world visual aesthetic and things. So uh, I hope it comes out and it's great. Yeah. But the last one I'm going to shout out here. I t- actually I take that back. Another game called Serial Cleaners is coming to the Nintendo Switch, 22 September. Another game we actually got a hard date for. So a weird game called Serial Cleaners from 505 Games. Coming to the Nintendo Switch 22 September. But my game of show for the future game show by far was this game called Tiny Kin. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's uh, I played that one too. Um, Tiny yeah. Tiny Kin is really cool. It's kind of like a Paper Mario, Paper Mario cross Pikmin. Pikmin. Yeah, that's really yeah. the best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you see the gameplay, you immediately see the Paper Mario influence and you immediately see the Pikmin influence. Watch the trailer. It looks fantastic. I'm talking like plucky squire levels of, wow, I need to play this game. Yeah, that got a date it too, didn't it? It looks really good. 30 August. Wow, we're close. 30 August. So we've got, we got dates for a few games at future game show here at Summer Games Fest. It was, it was actually a show, especially for Nintendo Switch owners. It was a show worth checking out. And they actually had the voices of Geralt and Yennefer uh, That's cool. hosting the show. So that was cool. That's neat. So that was cool. Yeah. But yeah, a, a, a weirdly lot of games, really cool games shown off at Future Game Show coming to the Nintendo Switch that I really think should be on your radar. Again, uh, we Tray Racers, American Arcadia, Lost in Play, Bramble, Bright Memory Infinite, The Last Faith, Ship of Fools, Batora, and Tinykin. Oh, and Serial Cleaners. And Tinykin. Nice. So a lot, lot of stuff from Future Game Show. Go back and check out the trailers. I'm sure they're all over YouTube at this point. But we def- with all those different cool games that we've shown off, we absolutely had to pay, uh, to pay a few minutes to a weirdly good show this year. <laughs> a weirdly good show indeed. Well, let's pivot to... I know this is going to be weird. Brace y'all, brace y'all selves for, for this, this pivot here to Xbox and Bethesda. 
Um, now we're not going to go through everything. Obviously we're a Nintendo podcast. If you would like <laughs> to hear our full thoughts on the Xbox plus Bethesda showcase, then you can get those via all in side quest, which again is live on our Patreon, um, for golden banana and Triforce tier patrons. You can get our full thoughts on the Xbox plus Bethesda showcase. But in terms of the Nintendo relevant news, Weirdly, there was a lot of Nintendo relevant news here, um, kind of adjacent to the Xbox and Bethesda showcase. I, I mean, I think the first thing we need to talk about is Silk Song. I mean, uh, the first thing I thought we were going to talk about is Banjo. Didn't they announce Banjo? Like, did no, we talk about we, that? We've been over this. We've been over this. No, oh, they didn't okay. announce Banjo. Of course, they okay. didn't announce I, Banjo. We knew they wouldn't announce Banjo. Sorry, my mistake. I just I, I get confused sometimes. Got to reopen sorry. the old but, wounds. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, Silk Song. Uh, who thought Silk Song was going to show up? At nobody. This? Not I. Not I. Said the cat. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. We we were all expecting Silk Song to show up at an indie world or at a Nintendo Direct. We were not expecting Silk Song to show up at an Xbox conference. This is one of the hottest indie properties on the planet. And again, we go much more into it during our side quest episode of uh, the uh, during our uh, side quest episode on the Xbox and Bethesda showcase, but, uh, it, uh, it feels, it feels almost like cheating <laughs> on Nintendo in a lot of ways. And if there was ever going to be a piece of ev- uh, evidence that people could use to point to there not being a Nintendo direct this month, that would be it. Although mm. I still can't imagine a timeline where that happens, but still so incredibly bizarre. And I think, the second or third game shown off in that showcase as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the second one. And there, there are other reasons to kind of, and, and you know, we don't talk about rumors or leaks or anything too much here on the show. We, that's an intentional decision on our part. We've always kind of taken that stance. We, we don't like to postulate things unless there's a really good reason to talk about them or there's like an interesting discussion around them. We don't talk about rumors or leaks here. Um, we, we just don't like to, to buy into that stuff there. There's all these rumors about a Nintendo direct at the end of the month. There are a couple of things that make me kind of think that that's probably the direction they're going. Who knows? I mean, all the rumors for Banjo, like, oh, yeah, Banjo's for sure going to be, this is the year. And I I knew, I was like, no, it's not. For sure it's not. We'll talk about that more later in the episode, too. But um, it's like, there's no no way that's happening. I had, look, I had my Banjo plush with me. That wasn't even the only rare game we were guaranteed would show up there. Well, yeah, that that was another kind of interesting thing, right? Because we know that GoldenEye exists. Like, we know that GoldenEye is a thing. There are achievements for it that have populated like it's real and it would have made perfect sense to be here. And I mentioned this on side quest, but it it being Nintendo relevant, I'm going to mention it here too. I kind of have a feeling that maybe it was kind of a, I think you called it a gentleman's agreement um, between Xbox and Nintendo because hollow Knight and silk song by extension has been such a Nintendo mouthpiece. I mean, I think silk song was literally announced during a Nintendo direct. It just seems like those relationships are so symbiotic between Hollow Knight as a brand and Nintendo, which is why everybody's been kind of like waiting with bated breath, like, oh, Silk Song's got to be at the indie world, or it's got to be at this direct or that direct, and and it caught us completely off guard when it was on Xbox instead. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if it was sort of a tit for tat, if it was like, hey, you guys let us have the Silk Song announcement, and we'll let you guys have the GoldenEye announcement. 
We'll see. That would be amazing if we wind up getting that here whenever it happens. And we'll talk about NSO a little bit later in the news roundup, but you know, we're out of N64 games now, functionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the the wells kind of run dry. It's time for a new mm-hmm. update, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so there's that. That that kind of happened. Um, the, the next one I want to shout out is Cocoon, which was maybe my game of show for Xbox plus Bethesda. Maybe my favorite thing shown in the entire dang thing was Cocoon. Looked really cool. Looks really cool. Looks really cool from uh, from Annapurna. We're most likely going to see more of that during their showcase next month. And I was surprised to see that it was coming to the Switch. It's coming out next year. Um, I could totally see that being it's this sort of like you know top down isometric puzzle game where you play as this like beetle guy using all these different like orbs and stuff. And it was a really cool trailer. I was really into it. Well, we're still waiting on Tunic to be that Xbox game that eventually right. makes its way over to the Nintendo Switch to follow spiritually in the steps of Death's Door. Yeah. So we're still waiting on Tunic to make that jump. So hopefully once Tunic makes that jump, Cocoon very much feels like it'll be next in that line symbiotically. Yes, I, I totally expect Cocoon to be like if if last year we had Death's Door, if this year we have Tunic, next year's Cocoon. And they're all these kind of like similar style of game, have similar vibes, you know? Yeah. So I, I fully expect that. That looks really cool. No date. We just know it's coming next year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Annapurna, I mean, they do so much work with Nintendo on yeah. the Nintendo Switch. There's so many games from Annapurna on the Nintendo Switch. I I can't imagine this one foregoes Nintendo's hybrid console. No way. No way. So that's coming. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Overwatch 2 got a spotlight during Xbox and Bethesda. And despite whatever everybody's trying to say out there, they've had plenty <laughs> of opportunity to say that Overwatch 2 is being delayed on Nintendo Switch or that it's going to be whatever. It, they haven't. It, it, by all accounts, it looks like it's not getting a delay on Switch. It's coming October 4th. It's already on the eShop. There's already yeah. a massive $40 Overwatch 2 pack that was released this week on the Nintendo eShop. It just, like, between this and Sonic Frontiers, it's like, it's like people just, it's like, they're not comfortable unless a game is delayed because for some reason they can't imagine a world where it can dual release on multiple platforms yeah. like that. I just, I don't understand that. People are people are actually, like, looking for delays now, it seems like. It's like, how, how about yeah. we just be happy that, that it happened at all? But hey, you know, I, I'm i not super duper interested in Overwatch 2. It's going free to play, which was the big news. So I'll try it. Um, I was huge into Overwatch 1 because everybody was when it first mm-hmm. came out. So I'm looking forward to trying Overwatch 2. Uh, they have also announced that they are going a battle pass model. Which again, I mean, of course they are. That was obvious. Yep. We we speculated yep. about this uh, on SideQuest, but they did. They had their own kind of reveal event later on this week and did confirm that they're going the battle pass model, just like Fortnite. You know, yeah. No loot boxes was the big headline that circled around the internet that day. And I don't know. It feels to me like Overwatch has kind of had its day, and that day has passed. There's been a lot of new up and comers in the in the multiplayer online. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, we've got stuff like fall guys, Fortnite continues to be a phenomenon. Uh, among us has come and is still kind of, you know, hanging in there with the rest of the cool kids. So 
we'll see if Overwatch, when Overwatch 2, we'll see if Overwatch can kind of reclaim its crown if Activision Blizzard doesn't collapse under the weight of investigating itself and finding no wrongdoing. <laughs> yeah, of course. I wonder I wonder how that's all going to shake out. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it, it looks like it's coming as scheduled October 4th, free to play with Battle Pass. So uh, look forward to that if you are. I Look, I'm like I said, I'm going to pop in there and try it. We'll see what's up. <laughs> um, but but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily looking to, to get back into Overwatch, but I would be happily surprised if I if it just gets its hooks right back into me. They announced a new character, the Junker Queen and stuff. And um, look, it, it looks like more Overwatch. If you're a fan of Overwatch, I think you're probably going to like this. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting after, you know, years ago when Microsoft bought Mojang and, and Minecraft, um, there's a lot of people that are speculating, are they going to keep Minecraft like on Xbox only and blah, blah, blah. And not only have they not, uh, done that, they've released spinoffs now. Minecraft Dungeons was pretty big. And now they've got Minecraft Legends, um, coming to the Nintendo Switch. And there's going to be, there's going to be people who are into this. It's not my thing, but there are going to be people who are into this. I've never really been a Minecraft guy. I've seen all the different spinoffs. I've seen Minecraft Dungeons. I saw the Telltale series, and yeah. I'm seeing this. And for people who are, because obviously I know there are a ton of people who are super into Minecraft, it's the best-selling game of all time, right? for heaven's sake. So I know there's a ton of people super into Minecraft, so it makes perfect sense they're going to continue to milk that cubic cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So Minecraft Legends, it looks like it's this sort of like strategy, like maybe light strategy, kind of you have like an army and you're taking on other armies kind of thing. I didn't really know exactly what kind of read to have from it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but look, it's it's another Minecraft spinoff in the Minecraft universe. I'm sure it's going to be solid. There are a couple people in the community who seemed interested in it. I think it's going to be a great game to play with your kids. You know, yeah, for families, yeah. I think it's gonna be great. Minecraft Dungeons. I mean, I played it a little while, and um, it was kind of like you know, baby's first Diablo, and and like it was totally fine and solid. Like I had, I wasn't mad at it, you know. So that's kind of what I expect from this on the Nintendo Switch, though. If that's the selling point, obviously, when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, it's a great game to play with your kids is not exactly a rare thing to say about a Nintendo Switch game. True. So I do wonder how that's going to translate to Switch sales. True. Yeah, although I will say, to, to Minecraft Dungeons absolute credit, what was kind of cool was that it um, it had cross-progression and cross-play and all of that. So I, I could be on my PC, my Xbox, PlayStation, whatever, and then if I wanted to at the same time play with my, you know, if I had a kid, I could play with my kid on Switch or whatever, and everything would all just kind of seamlessly carry over. So th- they've done a good job of kind of fostering that relationship with Minecraft, and I think it's really smart. I, I think they're doing the right things with Minecraft. I, I just don't, for me personally, it's just not my thing, but I know it's it's a lot of people's thing, and I'm and I'm happy yeah. for them. Well, I mean, putting Minecraft on the Nintendo Switch, putting Minecraft on a portable console was such a no-brainer for Microsoft. And I'm sure, again, there's a ton of Minecraft heads out there that are just going to eat this up. So uh, for a lot of parents, I don't know if they're going to buy it. For a lot of actual Minecraft heads, I'm sure they've already bought it. Yeah. And for a lot of people who own the Xbox, it's coming to Game Pass anyway. All of these games that they announced at Xbox and Bethesda Showcase are coming to Game Pass. So 
for them, it's just all games they have to look forward to to play for free. But again, we go much more into that. That's the end of your free preview of this week's episode of SideQuest. <laughs> well, we do. We should also mention that if we at this point don't get the Persona games on Switch, oh yeah, I will take it as a personal attack. <laughs> a personal attack. I just want everybody to know that. I will be I will feel personally slighted because they announced this is a big announcement for Microsoft yeah. and, and Bethesda was that the Persona 3, 4, and 5 Royal are all coming to Xbox and Game Pass. The Nintendo Switch is now the one place that Persona isn't. And I'm like, there, you know, it, there's got it's gotta come. It has to come. It's the one place where you can play as Joker in Smash, and the one place, I think it's the one place that has Persona 5 Strikers. No, it's on That's PlayStation also. It's on PlayStation it is, that also. That is on PlayStation, but it's yeah. not on Xbox. Not on Xbox, yeah. Yeah, so, but why Nintendo? I mean, it's Atlas. Yeah. Just, but just, but, but Joker and Switch. Yeah. No Persona 5 on Switch. But why? But why though? Hopefully we'll see that during the Nintendo Direct. I think so. I would very much love a triple pack of that. I think that would look quite clean on my shelf. That'd be great. I think so. I think I think that's something that we'll see at the direct because whatever sort of licensing thing, it's it's been said for a long time that Sony helps fund those games, particularly Persona 5. Um, and that's why it's been a PlayStation exclusive for so long. Whatever has been going on with Persona, clearly that is no longer the case. So if it's coming to Xbox, there is no legal reason it can't also come to Nintendo Switch. It has to. It has to. I don't know. Well, another massive publisher this week announced a new game that we hope comes to the Nintendo Switch in the weirdest way. But let's go ahead and get into everything that Capcom gave us this past week, starting with the Capcom Showcase. Uh, this past Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. And... For us as Nintendo Switch owners, we were very happy with the first part of the presentation because we got to see a ton of stuff on on Sunbreak. They continue to have a lot of new information to give us on Sunbreak, even after everything they've gone over these past few months. And we only have a couple weeks left. Less than two until weeks. Until it officially drops. Less than two weeks. June 30th, Sunbreak finally drops on the Nintendo Switch and PC and I just, I want it now. I want it now. It looks so good. But for those of you who can't wait, another really cool thing, a demo dropped this week that you can play the the Sunbreak area in. There are several different monsters that you can hunt in this demo, including the title monster Malzano as part of the ultra hardcore, going to make you cry difficulty. It's advanced Malzano. Yeah. 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 So if you want to run around the jungle and hunt some crab or something, you can do that. But if you want to get your face kicked in by an elder dragon, it gives you the opportunity to do that as well. So so PSA, real quick to our listeners, because I think that a lot of people, when the demo dropped, they went on the eShop and it's like, okay, well, where is it? I literally can't find it. So what you have to do, PSA, you go to the Monster Hunter Rise base game page and hit that download. Like, Sunbreak itself doesn't have a download demo button. You go to the Monster Hunter Rise, you hit download demo, and it'll let you choose either the demo for the base game or the demo for Sunbreak. It was bad. They shouldn't have done it that yeah. way. It was bad. Yeah. But that's how it was you do really it. weird. <laughs> yeah. 
Because they had a demo for Monster Hunter Rise originally, they did the exact same thing for the base game for Monster Hunter Rise last year before it came out. And why would you think, why would anybody think that that download demo button was for anything other than the core Monster Hunter Rise demo? So yes, a lot of weird communication when it comes to that uh, Capcom. So, Is there any other game, literally any other game that has that? Where it takes that you to a subscreen, right? That where you hit the button, it takes you to a subscreen with multiple demos. If you guys know of any other game that does that, let us know because I, I would be genuinely curious. I think Monster Hunter Rise might be the one and only game that does that. I'm not even talking about like on the Nintendo Switch. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen that on a console. It's wild, so that bad. Why did they do that? But there were a couple other things that we could take away from the Capcom showcase, obviously a lot of it was based around resident evil, right? Which we don't really get to play with these days on Nintendo platforms. We've got a lot of resident evil games on the Nintendo switch, a lot of the remakes and you know stuff like that. But when it comes to the new stuff like resident evil village and resident evil seven, and it's just not, it's not for us. They announced a lot of really cool DLC. They announced a third person mode for Resident Evil 8 that actually looks really cool. Really cool. Well, we don't get to play with that. One thing we do get to play with, though, is this game we know about, the Capcom uh, Arcade Collection. This is the Arcade Stadium. Yeah, the Capcom Arcade Second Stadium is what it's called. Yeah. These naming conventions are starting to confuse me. <laughs> right. And there are a couple notable games on there. But after the first Capcom Arcade Stadium came out and had basically all of Capcom's greatest arcade hits, this one, like we talked about last week, is coming out with a ton more obscure Capcom footnote releases over their history. And just for that sake alone, I'm actually really interested in checking it out. However, to celebrate the release of the game, they've made Street Fighter II The World Warrior available for a free, free for a limited time. Uh, in the first game. Yeah, in the first arcade stadium. They uh, they clearly listened to last week's episode. That's what they did. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> so we got some word on that. Obviously, we saw a little bit of a sizzle reel for Capcom Fighting Collection, which is coming next week. Yes. So, dude, between TMNT, between Neon White, between Strikers, between Monster Hunter Rise, between Capcom Fighting Collection... There's just in this month, there's too many games Cuphead that we have DLC. to play online. Yeah. It's just, but yeah, Capcom Fighting Collection, I'm still super hyped for and will be finding time for. But then going back to what we've said before all of this about how they announced a new game in the weirdest way possible. They talked about the 10th anniversary of Dragon's Dogma. And said, thank you to everybody who supported Dragon's Dogma over these past 10 years. We'll have an announcement in a couple days. Peace. Peace. We're bouncing. <laughs> and we're just like, what? What? But this is the Capcom showcase. You have a Capcom. Rel- what do you mean in a couple days? Yeah. And sure enough, yeah. During the Capcom showcase, they announced an announcement for two days later. And everybody immediately was like, okay, Dragon's Dogma 2 is 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 coming out. They're going to announce it in a couple of days. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Two days later, they said, oh yeah, Dragon Dogma 2 is coming out. And we were all like, we knew that. Why didn't you just say that two days ago? Here's what's weirder than that. 
they did it the same time as the Final Fantasy presentation. So, yeah. like, not only that, not only could, could they and should they have announced... I know that Capcom set expectations before the showcase. Hey, we're going to be talking about games already announced. I know they said that, but wouldn't that have been a nice surprise for Dragon's Dogma 2 to be in there regardless of that versus sending it out to die? Because it got... Dude, it got buried by Final Fantasy VII news. Yeah. Buried But here's by the it. thing. At the beginning of the Capcom uh, showcase, they specifically said, we're going to have some surprises. I even pointed that out during uh, our reaction video of it. They said surprises. And I guess those surprises were meant to be, hey, here's a couple new monsters in Monster Hunter Rise. Yep. I mean, to be fair, yeah. There were a couple big surprises in regards to Resident Evil with uh, the aforementioned third-person mode yeah. and the DLC and stuff like that. But still, I mean, why during your big corporate brand Capcom showcase, why would you just announce a separate event for two days later just to make one more announcement? That was just such a bizarre choice to me. So much so that it's actually kind of dimmed my excitement for Dragon's Dogma 2. And the whole reason we're really talking, spending this much time about Dragon's Dogma 2, I don't know if it's coming to the Nintendo Switch, but as of yet, it has not been specifically deconfirmed for the Nintendo Switch. So I do hope it winds up coming because Dragon's Dogma was very much a diamond in the rough. It was very much a hidden gem. It's a really good game. On on the previous gen, yeah. Much like Kingdom's Vamalur. Yeah, so. yeah. Dragon Sogma actually does some really unique things for the genre because you look at that game, and I think a lot of people reduce it to just like a Souls like. But the the pawn system is really interesting, and also um, the the whole mechanic of like it's like Dark Souls if it married Shadow of the Colossus because you can exactly you the can Shadow climb of the Colossus like, of just climbing. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. It's That's great. So cool. Um, and I think we probably have reason to expect Dragon's Dogma 2 on the Switch for two reasons. First of all, first game came to Switch, of course. But mm-hmm. the Dragon's Dogma 2 is running on the RE engine, which Capcom already has running alive and well on the Nintendo Switch with Monster Hunter Rise. So that engine works on the Nintendo Switch. If they can and just Capcom Arcade Stadium 1. Don't forget that one. So <laughs> yeah. That also runs on the RE engine as well. Clearly, clearly pushing that engine as far as it can go. Yeah, but but so I mean, but you could you could imagine them if they could scale things back for the Nintendo Switch, they could, you know, they could make that work within that engine's framework. So again, hasn't been confirmed or deconfirmed, but Dragon Sogma 2 is a thing, and I I think there's a better than zero chance. I don't know. We'll see. Again, I'd like to see it. Still a really weird way to do an announcement, Capcom. And why in the world would you try to go up against the Final Fantasy 25th anniversary <laughs> celebration? Why would you even, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, y'all got bodied by Final Fantasy, especially considering, like, this isn't coming to Switch and it'll never come to Switch, but, like, at least not in a native form. Like, the the, the basically part two of Final Fantasy VII Remake being announced here, you were, anybody else was going to get buried by that announcement. Let alone yeah. Dragon's Dogma 2. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the second yeah. part of the now-announced trilogy yes. of Final Fantasy VII Remakes getting announced this past Thursday. Uh, if we were anything other than a strictly Nintendo podcast, Seth and I would be geeking out about that for the next hour. But uh, if you are a Final Fantasy fan, feel free to geek out because it is a big deal. 
Can't wait. We did get something really interesting from this presentation, though. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, uh, we did potentially have a little bit of information about this, but Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion coming this winter, apparently natively, to the Nintendo Switch. Yes, please, and thank you. Yeah, man. Crisis Core is a great game. Um, that was one of the best games. It was one of my favorite games on PSP, certainly. Like, um, and, and Crisis Core, is, for those who don't know, is sort of the, the Zack spinoff. For, yeah. for Final Fantasy VII. And I'm really interested. I'm not going to get into spoilers for FF7 Remake for those who haven't played it. But FF7 Remake is not just a strict retelling <laughs> of no. the, at all of the Final Fantasy VII no. story. And, and so I'm really curious, especially since Reunion fits into their new naming scheme. I'm really curious to see if Crisis Core is going to follow that story. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. So. Yeah, we'll it see. It absolutely man. is. It's it's exactly in this same new pocket franchise, right. this new multiverse of Final Fantasy VII that we have now. It's absolutely going to do that. It should. That would excite me. But I mean, I'm excited too. Again, it's coming this winter. We don't know necessarily if that means on the 2022 or the 2023 right. side of this right. winter. We'll see what happens with that as new information becomes available. But am I the only one that would love to see a Switch port of Final Fantasy Ever Crisis? Oh, yeah. It looks interesting. I I would like to see them do something more with that. I Because that sort of is like a... It's like a best of both worlds kind of thing. Yeah. It's a more traditional style remake. Right. Remaster of Final Fantasy... Actually, Final Fantasy VII and Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. And... I, like that's all I wanted genuinely from a Final Fantasy VII remake is whatever Crisis is. There is something weird about the game though because it says they're going to have an open beta, right? And typically you only have that for like online, primary, primarily online games. Yeah. So I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know what that means for the gameplay, but just looking at everything I've seen thus far. It just looks like a much more traditional style remake of FF7 and FF7 Crisis Core, which, yeah, please port that to the Nintendo Switch. I'm down. That'll sell a million copies. I'm yeah. Look, I'm down. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to uh to Crisis Core Reunion though, and and I think there were a lot of people who were uh, you know me included. I was like, if they're doing a full like FF7 remake scale of this like is it going to be a cloud version how funny and ironic would it be to have a cloud version of a final <laughs> fantasy 7 game right but uh but no it, it appears to be native they they've had opportunities to announce if it was cloud or not it doesn't appear to be um and honestly watching the trailer back a few times now i don't i don't think there's anything in that trailer that shows me that it absolutely has to be on the cloud like it doesn't look unbelievably good and it still has no it still has a lot of those kind of big open environments that are kind of empty from the, the PSP version. Yeah. So I, I do think it is going to wind up coming native. Me too. And I, there were a few rough things about the gameplay to be completely fair. And I wonder if those are going to get ironed out. I do wonder if as part of the remake, we are going to get at least some, some modern conveniences, some quality of life improvements. So I do hope that comes because what goes on in crisis core the narrative and the characters and stuff. It's absolutely worth checking out, especially if you're already a fan of the core lore from Final Fantasy VII. 
Just give me Ever Crisis too. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's it's nice to be excited about a Final Fantasy announcement, isn't it? Yeah. But actually, speaking of games that came out 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, specifically. <laughs> specifically, speaking of games that came out 25 years ago, we finally got an announcement of the final, as of yet, final announced game for the Nintendo 64 NSO Expansion Pack app. And sure enough, I messaged Seth Thursday. I said, it's NSO Thursday. You called it. it. We're getting something about Pokemon Snap tonight. I did admittedly specifically say we were going to get a shadow drop. That didn't happen, but I did message Seth. I said, it's NSO Thursday. Here comes Pokemon Snap. And sure enough, later that evening, right around nine, which is what they are want to do these days, right around nine Thursday night, we did get word that next week on the 24th, 24th. Yep. 24th. So they're going to make me they're going to make me forego Pokemon Snap for Capcom Fighting Collection, but it is coming <laughs> next week on the 24th to the NSO N64 app. And after that, the N64 app is done apparently. There's nothing else coming in the future to the Nintendo 64 NSO app. I guess we can just pack it up and go home. No more reason to keep paying for the expansion pack whatsoever. That's that's exactly why we need that June Direct. And and I, I really do, now that I know this, now now that this makes a lot more sense to me knowing what we know now. Now that we know like Silk Song, now that we know, you know, this uh, this Pokemon Snap news and everything, doing the direct later in the month makes more sense to me now. Cause before I would have I mean, you and I both, I mean, smart money was on it happening this week. Um, and, and I do still fully expect it to happen in June. If these rumors of it being June 28th, 29th, whatever are true, maybe who knows, but, um, but it does make sense to me now in retrospect, knowing what I know now that it would happen later in the month, get that kind of stuff out of the way so that they can say in the direct, Hey, Pokemon snap just came out. Here's what's next. Yep. So. And actually, speaking of Pokemon Snap, the fact that next week we are going to have a console with two separate Pokemon Snap games on it. It's a beautiful is thing. absolutely glorious. And speaking of, again, of Pokemon Snap, I did also just want to shout out the fact that uh, I did get my manuals in from yes. our good friend over at mbpuk.net. Yes. Rowan Fox Noble did get my uh, my my manuals in Sick. this week for Metroid Dread and Mario 3D All-Stars and and several other games. They are so, so pretty. You do great work over there, Rowan. Thank you again. Again, mbpuk.net. Go give our friend Rowan some love. Go uh, support his shop. I know after seeing me post that on Twitter, Tim immediately went and bought like four <laughs> or five himself. So, How can you uh, not? Tim How from the Nintendo not? Dads, hope you like those manuals, bud. Go support our friend Rowan, mbpuk.net. Not sponsoring us. We just, we love sponsoring, you know, standout talent on the indie scene. Yeah, no, it, it, they're they're great. And we we had Rowan on the show recently and uh, you and I both, I feel like I'm the only person in the world that doesn't have their guide yet or their, their booklets yet. So <laughs> I'm waiting coming, on they're mine. Coming, they're coming. coming. They're, I know they're coming. I'm, wait, I'm waiting on mine. I'm just, I'm so hyped. They're so pretty. <laughs> they look so pretty in the, in the cases too. It feels, yes. my games feel complete in box now. It's so nice having first party Nintendo games that feel complete in box now. So oh. uh, once again, good job, Rowan. Yes. But, But here at the end of the news roundup, as we are wont 
to do. Let's go ahead and look back on this incredible week of video game releases. All of which, you know, with one exception, we've played quite a bit. Let's go ahead and shout out really quick Lumberjack from Final Boss Games that I talked about earlier on. That was Shadow Dropped from the Wholesome Games Direct. I've already talked about that quite a bit. Lumberjack came out last week and go ahead and check that out. But just in the past two days, TMNT Shredder's Revenge, Neon White, and Amori. Amori, the the insanely uh, personality-based Japanese RPG. You, you got to check it out. You just absolutely got to check it out. This is a game that we've had on our radar for a long time. I've had my physical from Fangamer pre-ordered for months now. Absolutely cannot wait for that to come in. But uh, if, if if you're on the eShop, if you're a JRPG fan, if you're like kind of a psychological horror fan, there's a lot of reasons to check Amori out is all I'm saying. Yeah, if, if you like things like Undertale and Earthbound and things like that. Another thing we should shout out really quickly, uh, speaking of NSO, is there's a new NSO free game trial that is uh, that is currently out. Just to shout that out, Stardew Valley is the latest game to sort of get that treatment. So if you are an NSO subscriber, you can play Stardew Valley for free for the next couple of days until the 20th. And there is a uh, 20% off discount. The game's already a steal at $14.99, but they do have a, a 20% off discount to take advantage of too, if you like it. That That's certainly an interesting game trial for Nintendo to drop because unlike stuff... Uh, like Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, in which you could very easily get everything you want out of the game within a week time period. A week is no time no. whatsoever for no. Stardew Valley. It's barely enough time to start that game. It's that that's a Stardew Valley being free on NSO. That's a first hits free type of situation. <laughs> yeah. Is what that is. That's a tease. <laughs> yeah. That's a straight up tease. That's all that is. They've released other games like Night in the Woods and several other games that you could really get yeah. everything that you wanted out of that game within that week free trial. Stardew Valley is just not that game. So if you do try it, be careful because it's definitely one of those games that you could, it's like, oh, how, when did it become March? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so shout outs to that. If you if you somehow have gone all this time without getting bit by the Stardew Valley bug, now's the time. Try it out. Yeah. Just talked about uh, Fangamer because of Amori, but uh, there's actually a really cool version of, a really cool collector's version for Stardew Valley on Fangamer as well. That That's quite pretty. That if you're a fan of physicals like me and Seth, that it should be worth checking out. But... Speaking of it being an amazing month for indie games. Speaking of it being an amazing month for indie games, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. We we said at the beginning of the news that we were going to talk a little bit more about a little show called The Wholesome Games Direct from this past weekend. And sure enough, there's a lot to talk about from this Wholesome Games Direct. Uh, dozens of games shown up. We've already mentioned that. It's time for us to talk about this insane show and count down the games that this show made us the most excited for this week in the top five. All right, man. The top five games that we got the most excited for from the Wholesome Games Direct. What are the What are the rules? Well, the, the reason we're framing it that way is because there were some known quantities. We yes. could have just easily filled this list with stuff like Little Gator Game or, of course, Coffee Talk Chapter 2, which Seth and I are hyped for the, over the moon for. Oh, yeah. But, 
but we knew about those. We knew about those and games like Ooblets and several other games that were known quantities. So we wanted to focus on games that this show specifically got the world and got us specifically excited for. So we're going to be counting down the best games that the Wholesome Games Direct 2022 proved to the world. Yes. Yeah. So let's kick off our list at number five with a game called 30 Birds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the reason 30 Birds is not higher on our list is actually for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's currently slated for like 2024. Yeah, so, it's a ways out. And based on the art style, it's easy to see why. Yeah, it's this real gorgeous, like, kind of... Gosh, it, it kind of looks like a mosaic. It kind of looks like um, like an Aztec tapestry. Yeah, Persian tapestry kind of mosaic, totally. And it, it almost looks like if you made an entire game based on the Mario Odyssey, you know, yep. wall side scrolling levels, and yep. um, it looks gorgeous, man. Um, yeah. Now, but another big reason it's not higher on our list is because at current, not only is it coming in 2024, apparently, but we also don't know for sure that it's coming to Switch. They've said PC and consoles. I've looked at their press kit. I've reached out to the team. I have not been able to confirm if one of those consoles is Nintendo Switch. It may be too early for them to say. Um, mm-hmm. But assuming it is coming to Switch, we're really excited for 30 Birds. We are. It looks absolutely fantastic. The The art style and the gameplay, again, just having these these explorable game areas be walls within the world of the game and you just running across these tapestries. The game specifically cites Persian culture as a massive influence yes. for the game. And it's really easy to see why the, again, the mosaic style, uh, type art style looks absolutely stunning. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Fez in the mm-hmm. way that the world is actually kind of set up because as you run around corners, it is very Fez-like in that regard. You'll actually run around corners and the world itself will turn 90 degrees to show you the new background that you're that you're traversing across. It actually kind of reminded me a little bit of a PS3 indie game called Sideways that you also hmm. run along the walls. You play as a basically graffiti character on the walls of New York. And I got... Uh, I was kind of reminded of that old indie game. That's a deep cut never for a lot that. of people. Yeah. It's just really, really cool PS3 indie game called Sideways. I definitely recommend people checking out okay. if they somehow have the opportunity to do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how you'd even get it at this point. But for some reason, when I saw the trailer for that, it just reminded me of that old indie game on the wow. PS3. But yeah, that... The, the obvious correlation to Mario Odyssey and those incredibly unique, those incredibly creative 2D sections in Mario Odyssey that were one of the highlights of the game for me personally. And just basically knowing that we're going to have an entire game that looks like it's going to take advantage of that type of gameplay, I'm really, really excited for. I hope they take a lot of the creativity shown in Mario Odyssey and incorporate that and see how much further it can go. I don't know if it will, but just having this type of gameplay set against this gorgeous Persian backdrop could be enough to carry the game. I know it was certainly enough to carry the trailer and certainly enough to make our top five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. I'm very, very interested. And I was kind of hoping that they would have just like even an early Steam Next Fest demo, but that unfortunately was not the case. Um, next on our list at number four, though, Little Bear Chef. <laughs> just you could just honestly that could be the whole list entry right there. Little Bear Chef. All you need to know, mic drop. 
He's a little bear and he's a chef with big food and big utensils. That's it. That's it. If the only instruction you gave an indie developer, if the only instruction you gave them was to make the most adorable game they possibly could, this is the game they would make. Because you play as, uh, I don't think Seth has mentioned this, a little bear chef. (sighs) Specifically, it looks like a sentient honey He's a little honey bear. Yeah. yeah, he's a little honey bear, <laughs> little honey bear bottle, little squeeze <laughs> bottle. But you best. play as this little chef in a big kitchen. And I'm not really even into cooking Sims that much, but I'm absolutely playing this one. And as a matter of fact, I need one on my shelf now. They need to sell little bear chef actual honey yeah. bottles. Oh, yeah. And I need one. I need one. Dude, he's he's just like he's he's floating the little ingredients around on balloons. He's carrying a little mushroom and weighing out his little steaks and he's a little bear chef. He's a little he's that's, a little bit. <laughs> how like I I don't know like what more do you want out of me right now? He's a little bear chef. That's all you need to know. He's a little bear chef. He is indeed a little bear chef. And just for like the memes, I think, I think that's one of the reasons that the game resonated so hard with so many people. Yeah. Because it's, because it's adorable because it's unbelievably cute, but also you can definitely see the potential there for the meme internet culture for them to just turn that thing into the next internet meme sensation. I, I genuinely wouldn't surprise me if that game if that game's marketing basically came from people using in-game shots of that as various memes. Yeah, it doesn't have a confirmed date just yet, um, but uh, but that that is coming to Switch. And uh, man, I, I am so excited. I'm so excited. It was so cute. Like, just the second he came on screen, man, it was just, uh, oh, so good. He just boops on screen like, hey. <laughs> you know, I I will say we we had this running joke um, when when we were live reacting to it. Every me, everybody in chat, and everything we were talking about like the amount of frogs that we saw during the. I literally should have, if I had the foresight, I would have thought to set up a frog counter. There were so many frogs. We we got the the one little bear chef. There are a couple of little you know lum bear jack and stuff like that. But yeah. um, but the frogs and were intense. kind of took over the end of the show. But yeah, yeah. for most of the show. For most of the show was like, it's like, it's just another frog that happened with Puff Pals. Frogun was, was uh, a frogun was at this show. That was another known quantity that we're super excited for. That's not our top five because we talked about that last week. Uh, Frogun's coming. There were just so many frogs in this show in paper animal RPG. They had frogs, but maybe the most notable frog of the show came and our number three, Little Frog's Adventure. It's is it is it that is it's Little either frogs. a frog's tail. I think they. Uh, th- so here's what's interesting about a frog's tail. A frog's tail. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So here's here's what's interesting about frog's tail. They're actually live on Kickstarter right now, but specifically they're trying to fund a like demo like a full blown up demo for the game they're not even looking for funding for the game because they know that the scope that they want to build the game to like they have got such a grand vision for a frog's tail they want this to be like their chrono trigger like to the fact that our to, to Which the also point has a frog 
which also does have a frog, of course. Um, to the to the point where they have blown up, like they had this like animated opening cutscene, this like gorgeously animated cutscene. They're like, yeah, like we want all the cutscenes of the game to be like this, and like it's gonna cost money. So like, what you're funding on Kickstarter is actually not even the game; it's the demos that we can get an actual publisher to give us the money that we're going to need to make the game to the scope of our vision. I mean, so regardless of how you feel about that, I don't know if I'm crazy about that strategy. The game itself, though, looks really good. Like, it's impressive. Based on that, based on that, if and when the game comes out, I'm incredibly excited to play it. I really hope, I really hope this doesn't turn out to be a Peter Molyneux, No Man's Sky type situation. Sure. Because, especially indie developers and lofty ambitions and that want to do everything with their game. It uh, doesn't really turn out well. And you, I mean, we've talked to so many indie developers that it's so much more in stock, so much more planned for their games that right. had to be cut. And I hope this doesn't wind up being a situation where they keep trying to shoot for the stars and they wind up never releasing the game because of it. But based on everything we've seen and based on what they've said they want their game to be, has caused us to be really excited about what the potential final product could look like. And I, yeah, and it's got a frog. It does have a frog. And, and I think, I mean, that's ultimately, that's the point of the list, right? It, it, it's a, it's about the games that you got excited for. It's about the mm-hmm. games that you saw and it made your ears perk up. You didn't come into this knowing about a frog's tail, but you had a frog's tail on your mind after it. You know, mm-hmm. it looks great. Like what they've shown so far looks great. And I hope that they get to realize this game to their full vision someday, because uh, I think it could really be something special frogs and all. (laughs) Yeah. And ironically enough, it actually reminded me of a game we had in last week's top five, talking about day of the devs for a game that we don't really know this full scope of the vision. It's probably going to be a few years down the road, but just based on everything we saw, I'm really excited for what the potential final product could look like, ironically enough, called Fox and Frog. That's that's also true. Yet another indie frog. That that should just be like just make it's a all connected, Seth. It's <laughs> all connected. Somebody make an indie game and just call it like not another indie frog game or something. Like <laughs> just just do that. Like not another teen movie, but with not another indie frog. <laughs> that that. That absolutely sounds like a Devolver digital game. Yes. Oh, yeah. Make like this this weird, like hyper-violent indie frog game from Devolver Digital. Not another indie frog game. That's, That's my the one pitch. that Shoot is working on with them. <laughs> there you go. That's my pitch, Devolver Digital. To, pe- to Devolver Digital people, if you want to give me money, we'll figure it out. <laughs> nice. Well, to pivot from that, let's do a 180 degree turn from that real quick, because our number two was actually the one more thing from this past week's Wholesome Games Direct. They had a really, really cool game to show off at the very end of the show. Completely understand, completely worthy of being the uh, the show's one more thing. A really interesting kind of pseudo bizarre surreal, rhythm-based, WarioWare-esque seeming adventure game called Melatonin. Yeah. I So it was funny because as as we were ending the live uh, the live reaction and everything, it was, oh, what was your game of the show? I like this. I like that. And then they were like, one more thing. And we saw the Melatonin trailer. I was like, that's mine. 
<laughs> like yeah. like that that was that was my game of show right there like i loved it and that actually did have a steam next fest uh demo that i got to play again unfortunately i couldn't produce a video for it because it is a rhythm game so so what this is melatonin is it is this weird pastel dream rhythm heaven is what it is like like it is rhythm heaven the gameplay is identical to rhythm heaven um and for those who don't who know me i love rhythm heaven so, um, and you? We were, music yeah, game? Yeah. I, I kind of like Rhythm Heaven. Yes, so, sir. so, uh, <laughs> when, when it came to playing the game though, for, for the demo, um, there was this weird calibration issue with the Bluetooth where it never quite felt right. And so like, I needed to hear it to play it, you know, and, and to make a video of it. And I couldn't play it through my speakers. Otherwise it would pick up on my mic. So I couldn't produce a video for it, unfortunately, but, um, but I did play it sort of through my speakers, the way it was intended and everything. And, uh, and it's great. Like, like it's great. It feels right. The games are fun. The music is great. I love the weird dream pastel visuals. The, the first stage is, uh, so, so the game opens and you're this kind of slobbish, you know, I don't know if he's like, he, he just, you know, he, he looks like he maybe took some illicit substances and passed out on his couch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably. Uh, he, he's Probably. Wearing, he looks like a college kid. He's got the hoodie on. There's old pizza <laughs> on the couch. There's a few scattered cups and, you know, in so many words, there's like a half I feel eaten, attacked. <laughs> there's like a half eaten McDonald's fry canister, you know. Um, and he's passed, you know, the, the, it opens, he's on, he's watching TV sitting on his couch. He falls asleep and the game takes place in his dreams. Um, and indeed the, the very first set of games is based on food. So you're this college kid sit in a, in a couch throne while food is flying at you and you catch it in your mouth to the beat of, of the music. Um, yeah. Yeah, when I was watching it, it gave me real strong Sayonara Wild Arts vibes. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. This one is a little more intensive with, because Rhythm Heaven's a fairly precise game. Um, mm -hmm. it, it actually, like, there there could be a really steep learning curve to Rhythm Heaven, and I think there's the potential for this game to have that too. Um, and, and basically, each of the stages were different things this kid was dreaming about. It was food, or it was one of them was about shopping. One of them was about his like social media following and stuff like this. And all the mini games are based on that. It was really good, man. And that one, um, they it, it was funny. So they just said September in the Wholesome Games Direct for the release date. Um, however, on the Steam page, it says September sixteenth. So. I think that's the release date is September 16th. So it's day one for me. I'm, I'm all over melatonin. Well, the internet's probably going to be clamoring for a delay for the switch version anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we, we don't have enough rhythm heaven clones out there. Not nearly enough. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair. That's, I mean, I'm always down for more music based, more rhythm based games because I'm not nearly as big a fan of stuff like that as you, but there are certainly a lot of games out there that I do enjoy quite a bit. Theater Rhythm. We talked about Harmonite, I think, just last week on the yeah, show. Yeah, There's a ton of games out there that are really, really good when it comes to stuff like that. Kingdom Hearts Melody and Memories, I've heard is really good. I haven't played it myself. It is good. But yeah, yeah bring them on. Bring more rhythm games on. But going into our number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just go ahead and reach our quota for the show of saying how much Seth and I love unique experiences. 
within the realm of indie games. Let's go ahead and just reach our quota for the show <laughs> of mentioning that because our number one took the number one spot because of that. It is this in- incredible premise. I can't wait to see what they do with it. Our number one is Paper Trails. Yeah, yeah. So this one does have a Steam Next Fest demo. Here's what's weird. This is another example. I, I, I kind of hate that both our number one and number two are games that I could have made a video about but didn't have the opportunity to. So for Paper Trail, the situation is it actually doesn't support controllers in the Steam Next Fest demo. It's only keyboard, mouse and keyboard. I don't know why, but I, I hope when it comes to Switch that it doesn't like require the use of motion or require the touchscreen. Because, again, in the context of the demo, is all just mouse. But the game concept is is incredible. It's so cool. It's so cool. Basically, imagine that the entire explorable game world, much like 30 Birds, is this flat fabric surface. However, in Paper Trail, you can actually fold the surface of the screen. Right. You can fold the viewable, traversable area of the screen to actually connect paths origami style. So if you were at the top of the screen and you were trying to connect to a bridge at the bottom of the screen, all you simply need to do is literally fold the fabric of the world to the point where you can connect those two parts. And the back of the fabric actually has its own areas and its own kind of map on the back that you can fold over to create more paths. It's, it's just a stunning concept that I can see them doing so, so much with. I, you basically just take the traversable area, you take the game screen, and just imagine taking the game world that you're running across and turning the actual game world into like an origami crane or something yeah. like that. Folding it and refolding it and unfolding it and crunching it and then folding it back again and then laying it all out so that you can finish uh, so that you can finish whatever puzzle you need to finish or get to whatever side of the screen you need to get to. Just in that minute trailer at the Wholesome Games Direct, I was I was immediately sold on the concept and absolutely wanted to play the game day one. Yeah, and and playing the demo, like one thing that's nice about it is um I was I was kind of worried because like playing games, I'm like, I'm stupid with games like these. Like I'm just I'm I am like I'm stupid with it, <laughs> you know. Uh so I was kind of worried that I was gonna come into it and literally just I'm like gonna be too stupid for this game. Um there there's some puzzle games that I'm very good at, like detective style puzzle games, but puzzle games like this, just I'm never good at. However, what's nice about Paper Trail. Uh, is that you can, like, there's only so many ways, really, that you can fold. Like, you can fold from top, bottom, left, right, and you can fold in at diagonals. And there are ways to make those folds meet and things like that. But, like, there are ultimately only a few ways to at least get your point of order. So, that was nice playing the demo. I was never stuck for long because it was always just... I could get a little bit of an idea if I just pulled this versus that. I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm describing. It's hard to describe. But, yeah, it is. But but you know, it it ultimately though made sense, and uh, and I was really I was really kind of jazzed that I was not too stupid to play it. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a couple games coming out that like Patrick's Parabox. I, I really want to play that. No chance. I, yeah, I'm getting like I'm getting two stages in and then going immediately to the game facts. <laughs> Uh, but this one, I there's God, I love the indie game scene specifically for stuff like this because you you think you think that all the ideas have been done in some way, shape, or form, but we're constantly seeing such fresh new ideas, such interesting and creative new concepts that could genuinely spin off into their own genre. Yes, I mean this was something that I said uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, we look at all the big genres that kind of take up a lot of the AAA space, cinematic action adventures, RPGs, platformers, stuff like that. And we see this, this huge, this lake of the entire video games industry. And then you see all the ideas that are coming from the indie game scene. And you realize it's not a lake. It is a vast ocean of possibilities in this industry that frankly, with all the ideas that are still reliably consistently coming out feels like we have barely scratched the surface on. I am so ridiculously excited for the future of video games because of the indie game scene, because of all these unique and interesting and creative ideas that keep coming from these amazing creators and paper trails. is just another one that I'm so, it's so incredibly excited for just to be able to play a game like that. Yeah. Yeah. Games like this give me hope, man. Getting, getting mm-hmm. to see the the wholesome direct and, and getting to see these genuinely no seriously unique games, um, it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for the future and gets me really excited. So if you are not interested in the indie game scene, especially after listening to us ramble on about it for 105, 106 episodes, what are you doing with your life? But if you're not interested in the indie game scene, watch the wholesome direct and tell me that's still the case. There were some insanely good looking games shown off this past weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Wholesome Games Direct. One of the most reliably great shows yes. of mid-June at this point. So I already cannot wait to see what they bring next year. I hope that by this time next year, we have had the ability to have our hands on a lot of these games. And a lot of games, honestly, that have been uh, currently not confirmed for the Nintendo Switch. There are several games from the Wholesome Games Direct that I really hope come to the Nintendo Switch at some point. Terra Nil looked yeah. really cool at the Wholesome Games Direct. Mail Time looked really cool. Mail Time and Miscellaneous the Tiny Tale could do an absolute crossover <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. How to Say Goodbye is a really interesting looking puzzle game. Uh, Melodicy looked really cool. That could come to the Nintendo Switch. Talking about music-based games, that could come to the Nintendo Switch, and I would love to see that. So just, I mean, even taking out games that were not announced for the Nintendo Switch, taking out known quantities, this was still a hard list for us to pare down based on the number of incredible-looking titles shown off this past weekend. Again, go check it out if you haven't already, and let us know what your favorite games from this wholesome games direct are let's talk about it in the discord again reach out to us on facebook reach out to us on twitter join the discord uh we'd love to talk to you about all things indie games over there clearly we're champions of indie games we'd love to talk to you about it and since i didn't mention this at the end of the news guys just thank you so much for hanging out with us each and every saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation namaste Namaste, indeed, Erga. Actually, wait, 
do you do you hear that? Oh, uh, oh! I thought these didn't exist anymore. Oh. No, no, no! Sorry, my friend. It's a blue shell topic. We haven't done one in a while, but it's time no, for the blue haven't. shell topic to Nobody come back. Nobody expects the blue shell topic. <laughs> Coming in from last place all the way to the front with a blue shell topic this week. You know, it it really has been too long since we've done one. And I think that there is a kind of salient thing that we thought about this week for, for various reasons. I think this ties into a lot of things, but we really sort of wanted to take a look at some of the dormant franchises that come back. I mean, there was all this talk. We even mentioned this a little bit on SideQuest this week for our Golden Banana and Triforce tier patrons. You've heard the new episode of SideQuest where we broke down the Xbox and Bethesda show case all these rumors of a new banjo kazooie game and and it's like like what does that even look like today you know yeah when it comes to banjo kazooie especially it feels like everybody tries to rustle up something everybody tries to get the conversation going yet again there's always there's a few franchises out there that just seem to be whispered of every year is this the year finally and we have seen a lot of resurgent franchises in the past few years from Nintendo, but that raises a big question with a lot of these franchises. A lot of them have been dormant for so long. Should the companies actually even give us what we want anymore? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to consider because we can talk all day long about the business sense of it. We can talk all day long about, you know, why we think this is happening, why this isn't happening or whatever. And, but And you know, actually... I'm sorry, Seth. I when it comes to the business sense of it, I apologize. Give me three minutes, folks, because okay, from the bus- okay. from from the business sense of it, yes. Why in the world haven't we gotten a new Banjo Kazooie yet? Why in the world has this not happened? Yes, Microsoft may have gotten cold feet because of nuts and bolts because we've got diminishing returns with each of the uh, first two sequels to the original Banjo Kazooie, but it just makes too much sense. You could say that they are a little gun shy because of Nintendo and the fact that they basically own the 3D uh, platformer market with stuff like Mario and basically half of their IPs at this point. However, by I mean, despite the fact that we've even gotten a ton of indies, indie platformers, 2D and 3D, why hasn't Xbox really gotten behind doing this? Because because of uh, Nintendo and because of the indies platformers have really come back in vogue it's a very popular genre to create nowadays there's a huge audience for stuff like this and with Microsoft completely ignoring such a massive part of the fan base all they're doing is driving people to Nintendo to a console that has all of these amazing games all of these great platformers all you're doing by being gun shy about an entire genre is telling people is forcing people's hand to go buy your competitor's console that's all you're doing and you could say oh well they don't care you know they still got game pass or whatever and but here's the thing like if you drive people to your competitor's console People will eventually say, well, hey, I've got this new console. What are some other games for it? And then all of a sudden it winds up being this domino effect. But the thing is, even more so than that, the reverse is even more true because if Microsoft and Xbox finally got behind doing a few, just a few at least AAA uh, 2D or 3D platformers to compete at least in this market. That's one of the reasons that PlayStation 5 and Xbox One owners want to be excited about Sonic Frontiers is because they don't have a lot of other AAA platformers 
to back up on. We do as Switch owners. We've got a ton of them. But PlayStation and Xbox One owners really want Sonic Frontiers to be good because they don't have a lot to fall back on. And if Microsoft and Xbox just got behind, if they just made a couple, just tried to, I would be a lot more inclined to buy one because I'm a huge platformer fan. And if I knew that they were trying their hand, I knew if they were throwing their hat into the arena, then I would be much more inclined to get an Xbox. And heartbreakingly, heartbreakingly, if they did announce Banjo 3 and it wound up not being very good, at the very least, announcing Banjo 3 would sell consoles and it would sell Game Pass. Seth, how quickly would you go out and buy an Xbox S, Series S, if they announced Banjo 3? No, yeah, I, I definitely would. Like, I, yeah. I that would be one for me. I, I, I don't know if they've done the research. I don't know if they've got data to suggest that um, this is not something that would be worthwhile for them or whatever. But I would like to see them at least try. Yeah, like, because everything I just said about Nintendo Switch and picking up a Nintendo Switch and thinking about, well, hey, I've got this new console. What are some other games for it? Xbox is the ultimate console for that because of game pass you sell consoles just by announcing banjo 3 or maybe just throwing your hat into the ring with some extra uh just trying out you know the platformer genre trying to finally uh finally cater to this huge section of the fan base that are going to other consoles just because you're not satisfying a couple specific needs that you very well could and all you got to do is just announce, just just start trying to do that. You'll get people over, they'll buy Game Pass, and then all of a sudden those people will start saying, oh, hey, I've got this new console. What are some other games I can play? I apologize, folks. Rant over. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I just, this blows my mind that this, that this hasn't happened. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I mean, look, there, there's nobody probably on this planet that would be more excited for a new Banjo game than me. Trust me. Um. I, I come back to a few things with this. I think that for Banjo, the reason we haven't seen it come back is is for a few reasons. I think that for Microsoft's part, they may have data su- to suggest that that's not what their audience wants anymore. Um, they They may look at this in comparison to other games that are in their catalog. I mean... Microsoft has sort of hitched their, uh, you know, kind of tied their horse to um, kind of the more realistic kind of, you know, shooters, Halo and Gears of War kind of defined their brand for a long time. Of course. And, you know, and now I, and we talked about this on SideQuest again, if you're not a, if you're not a patron yet, go sign up on patreon.com slash all in podcast. Cause I think we actually had a really good conversation about sort of the importance of a brand like Forza to Xbox in the modern day. And, and you look at sort of, I mean, there is something to be said about a company's brand identity. And as much as I wish that Xbox's brand identity had a little bit more variety in it to include something like Banjo-Kazooie, um, I, I can sort of see, you know, and this is also something that we tapped into on the episode of Keep Nintendo Weird that we just did with uh, with Tony Grayson um, with Wario Land. I could kind of see if there's if there's nobody sort of championing um, a franchise internally 
at Xbox, if, if you don't have the people there, I mean, keep in mind, a lot of the people that were at Rare during the time that Banjo-Kazooie was, was a thing, a lot of those people aren't there anymore. And I think if Banjo-Kazooie were to come back, I don't even know if I would want to see what it looks like because so I wonder how much of Banjo-Kazooie is because of the people who made it. And and again, so many of those people are not there anymore. A lot of those people are now at Platonic, you know. Well, when it comes to when it comes to finally bringing back long dormant franchises, this is one of the reasons that remakes and reboots and remasters, specifically remakes and remasters are so incredibly popular is because everybody says they just want the franchise back as it was. You can't do that. You have to evolve the gameplay. You have to. You cannot. If you're going to make a new installment, you have to evolve the gameplay. You have to add new flourishes into the game. You just have to. But with these long dormant franchises, if they just remaster something, then they don't have to worry about that because there's always this what if. What if these new flourishes, what if these gameplay evolutions, what if they completely go against the spirit of the game and make it something completely unrecognizable from what it was, a la nuts and bolts? But with a remaster or a remake, you don't even have to worry about that. You can technically give uh, fans of a franchise a quote-unquote new game in a series, but you don't have to worry about evolving anything. It's incredibly low risk, and that's why remakes, that's one of the big reasons remakes and uh, remasters are so incredibly popular, because they don't have to worry about what actually makes the game the game, the gameplay, because all of that is already there. Obviously, there are exceptions to that rule. We just talked about a major one earlier with Final Fantasy, but for the most part, these remasters and remakes, they are just sating fans by giving them what they want. They want a quote unquote new version in this franchise that they've uh, fell in love with years ago. And they just give them an old game as opposed to making a new one. So if we were going to get a new banjo, I would say that would probably be the first thing they would go to. More than likely, if we got a quote-unquote new banjo game, it would probably be a remake or a remaster of the original two. So so let me ask you this, because I think there are a couple of schools of thought, and I'd like to take your temperature on this. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of schools of thought when it comes to remakes and remasters, and I and I've talked... Um, about sort of my relationship with Final Fantasy VII Remake, I, I kind of was apprehensive about the idea of them just doing Final Fantasy VII again and was pleasantly surprised. Like, maybe the the hugest 180 I've ever done on my opinion of a game when I played it, and it was so different. It really, truly was a different product from the old game. And, and I love that about Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I almost wonder if they were to just come out with Banjo Redewey, I've heard that thrown around. I like um, that. I like that too. If they were to just come out with Banjo Redewey, first of all, and and you know, I say this as an unabashed Banjo fanboy. Every literally everybody listening to this knows this about me. Mm-hmm. You, you you interact with me for more than thirty seconds, you understand that I love Banjo Kazooie. Um, I feel like in many many ways, there are some things where like I can kind of. You know, take the rose-colored glasses off. I'm like, you know, the camera is a little wonky. It's on the N64. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but I would say that like 90% of Banjo-Kazooie really does hold up beautifully. And I really don't think you have to do much, which to your point might strengthen the idea of like, we'll just kind of slap a new coat of paint on it and call it a day. Yep. But I like, I almost wonder if that would just kind of upset the fans who want something a little more new, who want them to go in and retool some things. But at the same time, you have the people who are in the camp of, well, I liked this old thing. Like, I, I really feel like there's, and, and, and you know, Maybe you disagree with this, but but like I feel like there's kind of a weird apprehension when it comes to remakes and remasters of like people who are in the camp of, but hang on, I really liked this old thing, and people who are like, I want to see this old thing through a new lens. You know, the problem is both of those people exist, and both of those right. people are very vocal on the internet. So how do you choose? How do you appeal to both? I mean, that's the challenge, right? Do you even try to appeal to both or do you just say, because if you try to evolve the gameplay, you're there's going to be people that say, well, I just wanted this. I didn't want you to change everything. Yeah. And then if you do that, there's going to be a ton of people is like, oh, well, all you're doing is just making the old game. You're not even doing anything to it. So why even make a new one in the first place? That's one of the biggest problems with trying to make. Uh, trying to bring back a long dormant franchise is the fact that there are those two uh, those two schools of thought. So you either do what a lot of purists want and you just make a new game, uh, practically cut and paste gameplay wise from the original version, and you're accused of being you know lazy game design, or you know you make all these new choices and immediately. You have all these purists saying, well, that's not the franchise I knew. You're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't in so many situations, which I'm sure has very much contributed to a lot of major publishers being gun shy. I'm sure there have been a lot of pitches thrown around, not just for Banjo-Kazooie, but for a ton of long dormant franchises at all of the big three that have been shot down because they just don't know if that's going to work. And without a bigger assurance, they don't want to start throwing a ton of money behind it. But I mean, you look at stuff like Crash Bandicoot 4, I, I, that's such a simple template. It is, but you just add, you take the core of what made the game great, the platforming uh, and the level design, the very, you know, kind of, you know, in your face, it's I, the, the corridor-based platforming of, of sure. Crash but you add a couple more little flourishes to that. You add a couple more playable characters and all of a sudden it feels brand new again. You don't have to do too much necessarily, but you do still have to evolve the gameplay. You do still have to add new things in. I think one of the biggest problems with a lot of, uh, with bringing back a lot of these dormant franchises is for some finding that balance of old versus new isn't just that simple because you can't just take that formula with any given genre or even any given franchise you can look at that as a base as a foundation and say this worked because of this but then if you just take that then you have those people who are going to accuse you of just stealing from crash so again darned if you do darned if you don't darned if you don't do 
<laughs> right. Darned if you redo, you know, you know whatever, yeah. however you want to get bogged down in that. I think you tapped into something interesting there. Crash 4, I think, is a really good corollary. Um, another really good corollary to this idea, I think, is, and, and a lot of people um, don't remember that they made another Sly Cooper game um, yeah. after yeah. the core trilogy um, from Sucker Punch. They Was did it Thieves in Time or something? Uh, yes, yes. And it's, and it's actually quite good. And a lot of people sort of wrote that game off. It's actually really, really good. It actually might be the best Sly Cooper game in a lot of ways. Um, and it did take that Crash 4 approach where they didn't try to reinvent the wheel, but they made a new game that added like just enough, just enough new sort of gameplay flourishes, but it still remained true to kind of what fans wanted. Um, on the flip side of this, I look at something like ukulele. It's impossible to talk about banjo without bringing up ukulele. Um, because ukulele, for those who somehow don't know, was sort of the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. It was very much pitched that way. The yep. Kickstarter was was massive, broke records. And when it came out, it left some people scratching their heads. I really enjoyed it in spite of this. But I it left too. a lot of people, you know, kind of scratching their heads about it. And, and you know, for better or for worse, ukulele is a N64 Banjo-Kazooie style 3D collectathon platformer. Like it is exactly what it says on the tin. And there were a few people who felt lukewarm on even that. So it's like people are kind of unsure. I feel like the general audience is a little bit unsure of what they want out of Banjo Kazooie because they're saying, oh, bring back a new one with just like the old, you know, the same old kind of design philosophies of the old one, but bring it up to the modern age. And I'm like, well, that's kind of what ukulele was. And you didn't super i mean it did well it got its impossible layer sequel and stuff but it's not as if it like set the entire world on fire you know it got its support it came out and then people sort of gave it you know sixes and sevens you know what i mean so yeah. i i feel like people don't even really know what they want well and this is something we actually kind of touched on during our punch out we retrospective is as hard a pill as this may be to swallow for for some people there are franchises out there that publishers shouldn't give us what we want because there are franchises out there that I don't think have a place in the modern day. And again, this is something we touched uh, touched about when it came to Punch-Out because, frankly, ARMS is such a logical extension of Punch-Out right. that releasing a, an actual Punch-Out game on the Nintendo Switch, especially on a system that already has like four or five separate ways to play Punch-Out with the Arcade Archives and NSO, uh, a new one doesn't bring anything new to the table unless you do something wildly different with it, which at that point, it's a new franchise, which, like I said during our Punch-Out retrospective, is I think kind of how ARMS came about in the first place. So. Yeah. With some of these long dormant franchises, I, it would not surprise me at all, would not surprise me at all if these failed pitches to bring some of them back, if these executives or these decision makers at these big companies, if they said, you know what, no, we don't want that as a Banjo-Kazooie game, or we don't want that as an F-Zero game, or we don't want that as the next Earthbound, however... I do really like those ideas there. Maybe we can do something with that. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we have a handful of famous gaming franchises today that started off unknowing to us 
as pitches to bring back famous IPs. Yeah. And and I don't want to sound too doom and gloom on the topic because there is, I think, one really major example of this sort of game done well in the modern age that actually got a lot of critical acclaim, and that's Psychonauts 2. Um, I think Psychonauts 2 is a great example of something that came out, was new, but still sort of retained what people liked about the original, and, you know, had a lot of those same people involved. And and I and I think it was kind of the natural extension of Psychonauts, whereas Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, I actually love a lot of things about that game. Like, the, the score is actually, like, incredible. Like, the music in Nuts and Bolts is, like, orchestrated. Like, you remember when you first played Mario Galaxy, and it just, like, totally yes, recontextualized? Seth. Yes, Seth. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when I first played Mario Galaxy. I think you like Mario Galaxy a little bit, right? But it sort of, you hear that music, and it sort of recontextualizes the way you think of Mario music, because it's all orchestrated, and it's, like, blown up. That's how the soundtrack of Nuts and Bolts is. And then, like... I actually really like the visual kind of style and and how big the worlds are in Nuts and Bolts and stuff. It does a lot of things right. The gameplay, though, is not what people sort of wanted, so it didn't end up feeling like the natural extension that it could have and should have been of the classic Banjo formula. And I almost wonder if we were to get a new proper Banjo game, if they do work in Platonic, like if they literally work in Platonic, and they're like, hey, this is the original team. Let's give them let's give them Banjo back and say, hey, we want you to make something that is an actual natural evolution, not this crazy thing you were trying with nuts and bolts. Take the scope of nuts and bolts, but make a traditional kind of style of banjo game and add, like, like you said, kind of with like the Crash 4 Sly Cooper comparison, kind of throw some extra spice into the mix. Have your new gameplay ideas, because I think Ukulele actually has some interesting gameplay ideas. Mm-hmm. Work some of that stuff into it and and make a brand new banjo game. Like that would be the perfect representation of this idea to me. And again, crazy to me that it hasn't happened. I'm not gonna go back on that rant, but but Banjo Kazooie is not the only one. You mm-hmm. know, obviously we've been talking a lot about PlayStation and Xbox in this talk, and we're a Nintendo franchise, but why are we talking about all this stuff? Because we have a Nintendo Direct coming soon. It's as of yet unannounced still, but we know one's coming. And coming into the sixth year of the Nintendo Switch, there are still a few very notable franchises from Nintendo's past that have yet to make an appearance on uh, Nintendo's hybrid platform. We've gotten a ton of classics. We've gotten a ton of classics that we didn't even think we would get. Hello, Metroid Dread. Thank you for stopping by the party. (laughs) Right. And it was amazing. And Metroid Dread is another reason that that these AAA developers should be less gun-shy. Metroid Dread was our game of the year last year, and it was exactly exactly what the fans had literally been asking for for almost two decades. But there are a lot of other franchises out there that maybe Nintendo doesn't quite know what to do with. Maybe they're not as sure about how to bring some of their other games into the modern age, which I still think is kind of weird. Because of, again, specifically Metroid Dread, I think the big trepidation with that for so long was, and this was, I made a big deal about this whenever we talked about it, the fact that it's a AAA 
Metroidvania on right. console. That's something we hadn't seen since legit, like the Super Nintendo. People didn't think it could work. People thought it was an archaic game choice for the realm of, you know, the Grand Theft Autos and the God of Wars and the Red Dead Redemptions of the world. They thought a Metroidvania was an archaic game design for AAA game development. And it came out and it did incredibly well. Best-selling game of the franchise, won a ton of Game of the Years. And even though it didn't win, you know, when it comes to like the Game Awards, the BAFTAs, a lot of stuff like that was still very understandably and very kind of soberingly predictably uh, still dominated by a lot of the more cinematic action adventure games. Well, I don't want to say cinematic because Metroid Red was actually fairly cinematic in its own right. Sure. But the more yeah. traditionally cinematic games like your Death Strandings, like your, you know, right. your Elden Rings, which are probably going to sweep the award season this year. But it blows my mind that not more people had their eyes blown wide open by Metroid Dread's success. But maybe they had, because this was just last year. I'm hoping, I really am hoping, that a lot of people looked at this and said, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can take X game, X franchise. Maybe there is a place for this gameplay in the modern age. Because... Yeah especially as the indie scene continues to explode the way it has been, especially as nostalgia becomes an ever more present part of gaming culture. A lot of games that are being successful have kind of gone back to the way things were in the genre. I mean, fighting games for all intents and purposes, with some exceptions like uh, the ones from Namco Bando, uh, Namco Bando, Namco <laughs> Bandai, like Tekken 7 and Soul Calibur, the vast majority of fighting games went back to being just 2D. Yeah. Because that's how those games worked. That's how they've always worked. We tried the 3D thing with fighting games, but most franchises, it didn't work for. We had to go back to how the design used to be and that's perfectly fine sometimes you evolve by going back sometimes you take something you know sometimes you need to take a step back to take two steps forward and that's perfectly fine i just there are so many franchises out there that don't know how to take that step forward and i think for a lot of them it's just taking that step back uh you know, when it comes to stuff like F-Zero, when it comes to stuff like Earthbound, Earthbound's a JRPG. There is absolutely room in the modern age for a quirky JRPG. Are you kidding me? I mean, in this Amori, post-Undertale world? In this post-Amori yeah. world? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That would absolutely... And I know Shigesati Toy, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, but, you know, you know stuff like that aside, you know, roadblocks with the creators aside a lot of these game series that nintendo has the ip for there's money in them thar hills i hope so i i and and i think you brought up a good point when you said that hopefully the sort of more mainstream appeal or the sort of more widely publicized success of something like a Metroid Dread hopefully will give the people who write the checks a little bit more confidence in stuff like this. And like, look, maybe there is, I mean, like 
<laughs> we we talk about you know i was on stream with my banjo kazooie plush you yep. know holding out hope even though i knew it wasn't going to happen Sh- shout out to our friend ash paulson Hi, ash. um from from good vibes gaming who was doing the exact same thing um during the capcom showcase and and he tapped into exactly the way i was feeling because I, I watched their their live reaction to that and he was like look like i'm here i've got my mega buster i've got my mega man hat on i know it's not going to happen but like if i can just hold out any glimmer of hope then it's worth it then it's worth it to be surprised and clutch my pearls and freak out like like that'll make it all worth it and i and i'm here to accept that if it happens so you know maybe these rumors aren't baseless maybe there is something kind of brewing up maybe metroid dread comes out and it shows microsoft that hey like this is you know this this is something this is some, there there is an interest in kind of going back to the well on older design ideas and on older ip so i hope you're right and and i hope there is a new banjo project a bruin but there there is one more big thing that i think plays into this is because when it comes to AAA game development, Metroid Dread did well. We just talked yeah. about Ash and Mega Man. Mega Man 11 did well. Yeah. However, well at that level, because we don't see we because we don't see the people paying the checks to these developers for the marketing. We don't see how much money goes into these. For a small independent group, for a small independent developer, if they sell 50,000 copies of their game, that's a resounding success. That is a massive success. However, as AAA game development budgets have ballooned into the literally hundreds of millions of dollars, Metroid Dread selling two or three million copies, Mega Man 11 selling 1.4 million copies, that's selling well, but is that still well enough to justify AAA game development budgets? That's the problem. Uh, yeah. Because we well, we see that as, oh, this game sold, this is the best-selling game in the series. Best-selling game in the series, does that still pay the bills at the end of the day? Is sales numbers of in the single-digit millions when you have games like Animal Crossing, like Mario Kart, like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate that sell in the tens of millions of units, when those are the numbers you're looking for, when us as journalists and content creators, when we see numbers like one, two, three million in sales and we say, wow, that's a lot. Is that a lot when you're dealing with numbers even bigger than that? And that that's another question that I wonder about. Well, and and I think that Microsoft has themselves in an interesting position where now not only like they don't necessarily have to think about their first party game development. If they were to say, Hey, we're going to make a new Banjo Kazooie game. They, they don't have to think about it the same way they used to, because now they have game pass. Now they can look at it more so than just, this is something we're going to slap on the shelf for $60 next to anything else. They can now look at it look at it as now this is something to appeal to families with Game Pass or whatever. Yeah. Now this is something that we can throw on there, and even if we do, like even if we do take a bite on the development cost or whatever, maybe this is something that can kind of give Game Pass a little bit more of a widespread appeal. So I, I think that Microsoft 
has themselves in an interesting position where they can sort of think about Banjo-Kazooie in that way, in, in a new way that they've never been able to before, which is why I think that it actually, and I'm not trying to postulate anything, I'm not trying to get my hopes up at all, because I, I've been hurt way too many times too, um, but I do think that if Banjo-Kazooie were to ever come back in the modern day, I think that now it's more likely than ever, because Microsoft has themselves in that interesting position, they can sort of afford banjo kazooie now you know and like there's the currency that you get from putting something 60 dollars on the shelf there's the currency you get from you know families or people coming to game pass for it or people like me who will buy an xbox for it and then there's the currency that you get for fan service there's the currency you get in doing something that is a fan forward consumer forward move of hey we haven't forgotten you here is something new to kind of appeal to the thing you used to love yeah, and there are franchises out there that I don't think should come back. <laughs> I, it breaks it breaks my heart to say that. Battletoads yeah. kind of flopped when it came back. Yeah, and, and that's a good example, right, of like, that's a good example of a game that actually is kind of everything you would want it to be. It's like... It's like a new brawler. It's got the online co-op. They did the hand-drawn kind of art style. And mm-hmm. who's talking about that game anymore, you know? So Punch-Out, Battletoads, I hate to say it, folks, there are a couple games out there, a couple games that you probably love dearly that Nintendo and Xbox and PlayStation shouldn't give us new installments in. At least not new installments. That would be faithful enough to call them by their franchise names. But there are a lot out there that not only do we think should, not only do we think it's insane they haven't, but new installments that could reinvigorate and possibly even re-revolutionize entire genres that have that ability, that have that potential to do that. And I hope we see a few of them. I hope we see a few of them at this year's Nintendo Direct. I hope so too. This is a blue tel- uh, blue shell topic. This is a topic of conversation that I think is actually super interesting. And I would love to hear what y'all have to say about it. Yeah. I would love to hear the games. I would love to hear your pitches for new yes. games, new installments. Let us know how you would make F zero. Let us know how you would make star tropics. Let us know how you would make a sequel to star Fox adventure. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what games you don't think should come back. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Join the conversation over on Discord. Join our Patreon again. We've talked a lot about Keep Nintendo Weird and especially SideQuest. Definitely join the Patreon so you get access to all the stuff that we have going on here at the All In brand. But, I mean, we've talked so much about Banjo-Kazooie. And um, it's kind of interesting because Banjo-Kazooie in its project form was called Project Dream. Yes, it was. (laughs) And it's actually interesting because we talk about franchises that are coming back, IP that are coming back. I mean, we have been so hyped about the return of Little Nemo with Mm -hmm. Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland. That was one of our top five games last week that was shown off during Day of the Devs. The amazing ending 
of Day of the Devs with that live performance from Peter yeah. Berkman of Anamanaguchi. I mean, we were so hyped for that. We actually found out there's this bizarre like Netflix movie that they're doing with Little Nemo. Yeah, Jason <laughs> Momoa's in it. It's it's super <laughs> weird and dumb, and I'm here for it. Yeah. But we were so impressed by what we saw from Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland that we immediately reached out to the developers. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, they are joining us right now in this week's Indie Showcase. Dear listeners, we are so excited to welcome our very special guest to the Indie Showcase this week. He is the founder, artist, engineer, director, and basically mostly everything over at Dysoft, working on Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland live now on Kickstarter. So please welcome to the show right now, Dave Morrow. Yay! Hello. <laughs> Very subdued hello after that loud yay. <laughs> How are you? Thank you so much for joining us today, Dave. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing great. Um just uh yeah, deep into the the first week of uh the Kickstarter. Yeah. Yes. Premiered at the very end of Day of the Devs. You were the one more thing, the final present, uh, final game presented at the incredible Day of the Devs show just this past weekend. Uh, what was that experience like? It was. Uh, it was definitely pretty wild. Like nerve wracking a little bit. Like watching, um, <laughs> like especially like leading up into it, like watching Summer Game Fest, and it's like because it was kind of like all one stream, and it was like I'm in the same stream with like. Jeff Keighley talking about these AAA <laughs> games? Like, what? I'm just like some dude who's been like working on a game for a few years. Like, what? why am I here? <laughs> wow. So, so you've already been working on it for a few years at this point? Yeah, because so I I, um, I come from like a, um, a mobile engineering background. Yep. And sure. So I just, I just really wanted to make a game. I've always, I've kind of dabbled with it um a bit here and there and like doing game jam type stuff yep. and mm-hmm. so i was like i want to leave this industry and just like learn how to make a game so there's been a lot of like ramp up time of me like figuring out how to do things and like learning like um building building out like the framework that i need to build the game and and kind of like i i've front loaded a lot of the work in the just to kind of like prove to myself that I would understand how to ultimately build a game that could like scale to the, to the, where I need it to, you know, be this like fully formed 2d platformer with, you know, like this many zones, it's about this big, et cetera. So it's, um, yeah, it's (laughs) been working on it for a few years, which, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird to like, look back and be like, Oh wow. Yeah. I've been, been working on this for three years now. <laughs> wow. I'm sure. Yeah, your your journey must be interesting. I mean, coming from that sort of world like you said coming from like a like a mobile engineer and everything. I mean, how how do you arrive at making a little Nemo game? Kind of what's your personal history with the IP and and how do you get to the point of like, you know what? No, I'm just going to make a little Nemo game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh I mean, I think like many of us, I was introduced to Little Nemo by the Capcom video game for yep. the NES. Mm-hmm. Little Nemo and, Dream Master, yep. Yeah, and then also the TMS uh, animated yep. film. Yes. And, and so it always kind of stuck with me as a kid growing up. It's just like, yeah, I love this game. This is great. And then I, um, as a college student um, studying painting, I had like a, an animation history class and 
started learning about, you know, like early animation history and discovered Windsor McKay and sort of like, yep. oh, the comic, you know, like the Little Nemo comics from there. And just like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is all like, this is really interesting. Wait, Little Nemo is like just really interesting to me. And uh, I started <laughs> um, incorporating Little Nemo into like the artwork I was doing in college. And so I just, yeah, like Little Nemo has just been kind of this constant, like, character in the back of my head all my life pretty much you said uh, little nemo was even prominent in your in your thesis yeah yeah my my senior thesis show actually like uh kind of like the um i have this this painting that is um you know like like little nemo like the capcom little nemo sprite and it's mm -hmm. like a, a pixel painting um that's <laughs> modeled after um the death of socrates by jacques louis david I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with, but uh, very uh, kind of the 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 rectilinear structure of this image and and uh, the that you know being uh, reflected in the pixels of the that I've painted in the canvas of the game, and I just kind of really got into these thematic elements of like Nemo dreaming, but he's stuck in this like he's confined to this like pixel grid and. Um, yeah, I had I had a lot of fun just kind of exploring That's those awesome. ideas. Nice. Well, I mean, Little Nemo is it's you know I, I think for a lot of us people around our age, I, I think a lot of us do kind of still have Little Nemo locked away in our memories somewhere. But for yeah. for the newer generation, I don't think they're nearly as familiar with the IP. That being said, uh, in your Kickstarter campaign, you do have a couple other. You've already shown off a couple other. Little Nemo, classic Little Nemo characters that you plan on including in the game. Obviously, you have Nemo, who is the player character, but we've also seen a little headshot of Bon Bon, who is yep. apparently going to be in the game, and a very seems to be traditional kind of interpretation, just using your art style. But we definitely wanted to ask you about Flip, because right. <laughs> Flip is definitely not a traditional interpretation of that character. So... Traditionally, the character of Flip is like this kind of rodeo clown-esque, top-hatted, very mischievous, cigar-smoking ne'er-do-well. But in your game, Flip is quite different. So how did that come about? Yeah, that was... Um, so I mentioned I have like... Um, I'm working with somebody, uh, Sid, on the, on the team that helps with like narrative, mm -hmm. um, like developing the narrative and the story and stuff. And we were just kind of like kicking around ideas and talking about the original flip design. And it was like, um, I, you know, I think that design is really cool, but I, you know, it's like, it felt a little like dated and it was kind of, we were talking about like, what is, what was the intent of that character design, right? Like what was Windsor McKay trying to get across? And it's like, well, flip is like supposed to be, cool to nemo because nemo's a kid right and so what like what's like a cool adult for a kid and it's like oh like a clown or like a this like he's like kind of like a clown or a carnival barker or something yeah and, uh, and like yeah that would be cool for a kid in 1905 <laughs> but like you know what did what was like a cool adult for me growing up in the 80s was like cindy lopper and also yeah. kind of has that like bad you know, like bad kid energy of flip. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of all clicked and it was like, yeah, like, 
let me kind of take this in a, in a different direction, just very, very Cindy Lauper inspired, but trying to kind of get some of those elements of flip in there, like the green makeup and the diamond, uh, diamond on the eyes makeup and stuff. Yeah. Just some like kind of reminded me of Jim and the holograms a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of, um, uh, a lot of like different eighties and nineties influences. Like Gem and the hologram is something that like has come up and like, ideating about like visual identity of the game and stuff and uh obviously there's a few other very classic characters within you know little nemo's was uh pantheon i just wanted to go ahead and ask could we expect any other classic characters and maybe even some other new interpretations of those classic characters to appear in guardians of slumberland yeah there's there's definitely some others um so in some of the key art, you um, feel closely, you'll see the princess is in there. Yep. Um, and the princess, um, we've we've given the name Poppy in, okay. in uh, okay. our interpretation. And um, uh, so King Morpheus will be of in course. there as well. Very um, nice. And uh, yeah, there will probably be others we haven't really decided on. But like those those are ones that we definitely have like kind of incorporated into into yeah. our lore yeah those are the ones you feel like you kind of have to have if you're going to make a little nemo game right yeah they're so central to like both the comics and then also you know the 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 ones that we all are more from, like kind of that introduced us to the comic uh, the comics was like you know the capcom game and stuff so of course yeah morpheus morpheus and the princess seemed important um yeah and I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sure like what I the way I like to approach it is kind of like okay, there's this like great wealth of characters to live from, and so um, I think we've kind of hit the core ones, and from that like I'm most interested in personally, and so from here like as we need characters to kind of tell the story that we want to tell and like create the world we want to create, um, like which ones make sense to kind of be like oh this would kind of fill this need and like oh we can like lift like you know, adjust the visual identity as needed, but um, there's 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 so much like great um, design and ideas in the comics to pull from. And the same same way with like the world itself. Like, you know, when creating the world, it's like, okay, what you know, what things can I pull from the comics, and then how can I adapt it to be more kind of like the game I want to make? Yeah, how can you put your stamp on it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a lot of it. I think, you know, some people definitely um, might react to it in a way like, oh, I don't like that this is like not like the comics, um, which, you know, I, I get that. Um, but I, at the same time, like, I don't I don't just want to do that. Like, I'd like to kind of do my own thing with it. And I because I think ultimately, like, that's what everyone loves the Capcom game. Right. And that, that's what they did. They kind of like they took Little Nemo and they put their spin on it. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was different, you know. Maybe some of the, you know, like obviously Flip is a fairly drastic redesign, but ultimately, like their their take on it was quite different from the original comic strips, like both visually and and uh, like lore wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's honestly what I kind of love about Little Nemo as an IP is it does pass through your individual lens so well, and and I love your I love your artwork, I love your style here. I Man. think it's so striking and. I mean, I think the game is gorgeous. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to sort of ask how you arrived at this 
kind of hand-drawn art style. I mean, the, the game is entirely hand-drawn, and it's, and as many people would probably assume, incredibly laborious. I mean, what kind of drew you to realizing the game visually in this way versus, you know, pixel art or what have you? And, and kind of what would you say some of your visual influences for the game are? I guess I'll actually let me start with the visual influences because, like, okay. I, there are some games that really kind of turn me on to, like, what is possible in in the space of like making a 2d platformer and i think like the 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 most critical uh would be the dragon's trap wonder yeah lizard cube Mm -hmm. wonder boy the dragon's trap i love that remake it like i actually was unfamiliar with i never played the original wonder boy games um and so that was my first interaction with the series actually but um you know, I, I love that they just took the game and put this like amazing coat of paint onto it. Yeah, I was just like this. This is like the most beautiful game I've ever played. Like, <laughs> I, I had no idea this could be done. And um, yeah, like between that and like playing Hollow Knight as well, it was just like, yep. mm-hmm. you know, I, I I was just kind of like wowed it. At, um, you know, in in that one, it was more kind of Hollow Knight, more about like, wow, look at the kind of depth you can create with like your parallax layers and stuff, like in the backgrounds. And there's just like those those both heavily influenced kind of like my um, decision to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna hand draw this with like, you know, like frame by frame animation, um, just like full high res art, and you know, I I draw it all in uh 4k because like one of the one of the things about uh dragon's trap i i wish i could like blow that up on like a 4k monitor and see all the crisp detail but um so yeah i'm doing that with with uh little nemo's drawing everything with a target resolution of 4k so you can see all the you know details of the pencil lines and the the brush strokes and everything yes i love that yeah so it's really seeing what was possible kind of made me um that kind of made the decision for me it was just like i why would i not do this i love i love those games so much like their visual identities are so strong i want to do something like that right that was that was kind of the thought process and it was also like okay i i knew i wanted to do little nemo i kind of said it like early on when i was deciding what to work on i was like i want to do something little nemo cuz i've been obsessed with it forever it's public domain um at the time, no one was was doing a Little Nemo game, right? So it's like, um, it's just kind of like open, just like the space where nobody's operating that I could um, fill a void. And um, yeah, it was uh, that and a, a simple, you know, I want to make like a 2D platformer. Metroidvania is not super simple, but something that was in a genre that was well-established enough that I wouldn't get bogged down trying to find the fun. Right, like in, in terms of like designing the game, it was like I wanna I wanna start out the gate like on the shoulders of of other games, so I can sure. um, I can focus rather than like trying to reinvent the wheel. I want to make like a really good wheel, which you know because it's my this is my first uh, commercial game, so I wanted to kind of be careful about uh, what I was biting off. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, when it comes to the visual identity, you I, I, you can I absolutely see the correlation between this and Wonder Boy: The Dragon's Trap. Um, cinematic FPS is twenty four frames per second. Did you actually do you have twenty four frames that you animate per second? Or I actually did what what Dragon's Trap did because I thought I thought their solution was great. Was like you don't need to get bogged down in those like 
minutia of detail because like your screen operates at 60 hertz. If you target 24 hertz, you're gonna get, um, you're gonna like double up and skip over, or well not skip over, but you'll double up on certain frames, right? And like, you probably won't notice that, but like, why not just target 30 frames per second? Mm -hmm. and, and then you get a nice, that like operates nicely in like a 60 hertz environment. Um, so my my ones, you know, like like uh, the highest frame rate I go on in the animations is 30 FPS. So like Nemo's running animation is 30 FPS. Yeah. Um, and then the I most of the animations happen on the two. So like um, maybe an enemy walking around will be at 15 FPS. Um, so that that actually I I like tug in. I I watched like um, f like 60 FPS videos of dragon's trap at um you know skipped through on youtube i was looking i was like what frame rate are they doing at here it's like oh okay they're just doing it at 30 <laughs> fps that's that makes a lot of sense that's what i would want to do because yeah like most people i think like super animation buffs might notice the difference but like i think for most people 30 fps and 24 fps are going to look very similar i wanted to ask you about sort of the the gameplay because the game on the surface, and, and maybe you would describe it this way, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, on the surface, it looks like a 2D action platformer, but playing the pre-alpha build that you sent over, it actually kind of seems like it has some Metroidvania influence. It's got this kind of like seamless map, a bunch of different areas. You've cited games like Super Metroid and Castlevania 2, and again, Hollow Knight as influences for the game. So is it fair to call it a metroidvania and what kind of was the thought process behind taking this sort of approach to the game design yeah it's um i i think like you i i call it i i've called it a metroidvania a lot and i think people maybe don't even notice that because i think a, a lot of games will use that and the or you see a lot of like metroidvania light um but the intent here is to make a metroidvania like in the classic sense right like super mm -hmm. metroid is very much an inspiration in terms of like level design and and um how how the world is built and and um and i think you hit on something like what i'm it's it's nice to have uh <laughs> this platform to talk about the game because we right. get into these sorts of details because this is this is sort of like what i feel like i'm trying to bring to the table that's different where where i am willing to kind of like change up the formula a little bit and it it's it's very subtle so um uh, but but essentially like i want it to play moment to moment as if you're playing an nes or super nes platforming game right like this is this mm -hmm. is like mario 2 mario 3 uh capcom disney afternoon games yep um like that's your moment to moment gameplay but it's set in a large open world that is like um you know it's it's all seamless um so the the world just kind of loads loads in around Nemo, like as as you're moving through the world, loads in. There's different biomes you can venture to. You'll be backtracking. Um, you know, you um, yeah, it's just a big open world that's about like the fun of exploration. But the combat, I find like typically Metroidvanias will focus on combat rather than platforming. Mm -hmm. And here, that's why I usually call it like a platforming Metroidvania, because the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is first and foremost platforming gameplay. Uh, but the context around that, the like greater meta game, is exploring, finding secrets, getting toys that like give you new uh, combat and um, platforming capabilities. So 
that's that's kind of one of the the rules that I have for the toys is they they should both um, increase your combat arsenal, but also increase the like like it's a new platforming gameplay gimmick. Um, yes, so the, the pogo stick is a good example, right? Like the pogo stick from from Ducktales, essentially. Duck is the, yep. Yeah, that's the inspiration there. It's just like everyone loves that. It's so good. It's so fun. Like, <laughs> and you can you can't normally jump off most enemies. Like, there's little spiky enemies that if you touch them, you'll get hurt. But if you have the pogo stick, you can hop on hazards. You can jump off these spiky enemies and get to new places that you couldn't reach before. But it's also a combat option, so you can attack below. Whereas like your your yo-yo, which is kind of an earlier weapon you'll pick up is um can only attack in front yes that 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 brings up such a good point because i because i think looking at it you know a lot of people admittedly myself included when when you take a look at the game it's like okay this is going to be kind of a level to level 2d action platformer but i was surprised when i got into the pre-alpha build like i found the yo-yo and oh all of a sudden i can break down these rocks and oh, like I got the the hook uh, upgrade for the yo-yo and all of a sudden those hook points, I can grab onto them with the yo-yo. Whoa, this is this opens up so much more uh, variety just in the level design. And uh, I thought that was really cool. There, there's this kind of focus, it feels like to me, on just freedom and experimentation. There's not a lot of hand-holding. Um, and there, there's even a moment when I was playing the build where... I had picked up this key that I found in this secret room <laughs> and I wound up bringing it with me into an area that I didn't realize was going to trigger a boss fight. And so I <laughs> defeated the boss with the key, which was funny. Yeah. Um, so is that sort of like, that's kind of an old school design philosophy, kind of letting the player go, letting them experiment, not necessarily telling them exactly what to do. Is that kind of what you're looking to tap into with this one? Yeah. I, I think like, I, I think there's there's like definitely some stuff missing in the build that you played in terms of like sure. it, it actually probably needs a little more hand holding. Like I've kind of packed the toys in there and I don't um the yo yo kinda shows you how to use it real quick, but like um, you know, the other toys do not and like in a you know, in the final version there would be a little bit of hand holding with like, here, let me show you how to use this weapon real quick. Sure. But in terms of the bigger picture of like allowing you to kind of like break find ways to break the game i i, I love really that. Like that stuff so like mm -hmm. i want that in there it's like um and you know there's kind of there's ways to prevent that from happening right because i've tried to um build the like essentially the the pluck of my carry mechanic is can potentially be really um broken because you can stand on things or you could you could potentially stack things up and and build up a a way to get to a place you couldn't normally get to. And so I need to be careful. It'll be a matter of balancing that. Like I can't always, I don't always want to allow the player to do that because they could actually like get themselves in a bad place. But I think um, there are clever ways to prevent that from happening. So like, for instance, the dangling ability, you can't do that if you're carrying something. So if I need to prevent mm -hmm. you from bringing something somewhere, I can make sure you have to dangle to get there. Uh, but um, yeah, something like like being able to to kill that boss faster by bringing something in. That was something I just left in there because I was like, oh, this will be fun to like let people discover that they can bring in either like a rock lobster or the key, and then mm -hmm. just kind of like immediately delete the boss. <laughs> I, I I wanted to. I didn't have time to really flesh this demo out, but I actually also wanted to be able to. I was hoping to have a secret so you could find the yo-yo before 
you get to the boss, you could just kill the boss with a yo-yo, which would have, would have also been pretty fun. But <laughs> that's yeah, I, I I really like sequence breaking and and giving the idea of like giving the um the player the the choice to kind of like um tackle it how they see fit while providing yes. kind of a central like guided path that most players will go on. Well, I love that. well, when it comes to this, you know, this idea of giving players just enough tools to sequence break in the right situations, are you having, is that, is, is that kind of being a challenge for you is trying to find that type of balance? Because I mean, you've got toys, which give Nemo different abilities, stuff like the yo-yo and the bubble wand and the cape that you've talked about on Kickstarter. In addition to that, you've got you know, these buddies that follow you around that give Nemo extra powers on top of that. In addition to that, the extra costumes that you can get for Nemo, those are also going to change the gameplay up as well. So with all of these different layers to the gameplay, have those have those created some kind of situations where you're like, oh, well, now we got to go back and do this because in this specific combination, I don't really want the players to be able to do this, but this happens. Yeah. Are, are those yeah. kind of things happening? I not yeah, I think like um that that will certainly happen as the game gets closer to completion and it's like you know a full world that is um explorable and like I'll need to find those things but I've the way of kind of there's 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 only at the moment I'm like which I'm pretty sure is I'm I'm happy with this final list there's only six toy upgrades that you can get and the ways in which I I feel like I fairly decently understand the the ways in which they mechanically interact such that there are they're essentially kind of like these uh i don't know what you'd call it but like interactions that i can design that can require certain tool combinations to get through if that makes sense and you can see that i don't know if you played enough of the pre-alpha but i tried to kind of hint at this where there is like this final area you can get to where you can see a hint of the gumdrop gardens um, but to get up there, you need you have to have the grapple yo-yo. Right. But then you're supposed to have the pogo stick, but you don't have to have the pogo stick. So it's like little things like that. That's like the sort of, um, that's what I like doing where it's like, you know, maybe there's like, for instance, if that were, if that were in like the final build of the game, I would need to be. I would need to make sure like, okay, here's here's this area I don't want the player to get to unless they have the grapple yo-yo, but also I want to discourage them from getting there without the pogo stick, but it's not a requirement. And those are, those are the sorts of things I'm thinking about in terms of like um, building out the world <laughs> while allowing for these kind of um, choices. Mm. I love that. I love that. It's got, it's got a very like kind of playful, explorative, you know, explorative vibe. I, I, I like that a lot about it. It's a very old school design philosophy. Um, something I, I've, I've got to pivot to this real quick, Dave, cause I, cause I love yeah. video game music is something I'm very passionate about. Our listeners know that I'm huge into video game music and I'm a massive fan of Anamanaguchi. So, so, I mean, I've just got to ask how did that Peter Berkman collaboration come about? <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's a, it's a fun story because, um, Pete and I are old friends. Um, okay. Wow. I was I, I was like the I was the first Anamanaguchi fan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's there are these forums that um, our mutual friend Jeremiah made back in the day. You might know him as Null Sleep if you're into mm -hmm. uh, video game music. He made these forums, the 2AO3.org forums, you know, named after the NES's sound chip, and um, that's where uh, Pete started posting music. 
as Anna Monaguchi, and I, I was just like blown away immediately. And so we started chatting on there. And then, you know, by the time he like showed up, this was, we were both, well, he was up uh, just above the city and I was living in the city at the time in uh, New York city. And yeah. um, he, uh, when he finally played a show, and came down. I, I showed up with like my homemade Anamanaguchi T-shirt. <laughs> They're just yeah, being a being a fan. Um, but yeah, I, I um, went on to work with Pete. Like um, I did the album art for uh, Power Supply and Don Metropolis. Oh, like, really? Yeah. That, yeah. Wow. Cool. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. That's crazy. That I love knowing that. Th- I, those are like two of my favorite albums. That's amazing. I had no <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, yeah. So we we've. We actually, Pete and I lived together for a few years. Like we, yeah, we, wow. we go way back. And so when I was making this game initially, I was, um, I was just like, let me do something like relatively simple. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean to spend this long on it. It just kind of, <laughs> that's the way it goes. You kind of, that's the way it like, goes. <laughs> yeah. You just, everything takes longer than you think. And I was, it like, was oh, like, oh, this okay. is a good idea. Three years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do my own music. I was, I was thinking I would just like use, um, I was planning to use uh, probably like romantic era, um, like public domain classical music. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem, part of the problem was like my favorite uh, romantic era music is just like take center stage. It's not, it's not good at being like video game music, but also I just, um, I was like, this is going to be too hard for me to do all of this. I need help. And I was like, I, you know, I kind of, I, I was like worried, you know, oh, Pete's going to be busy, but let me, let me like, see if he's interested and then you know when i brought it up to him he was like super psyched to work on me uh work work with me on this so it's like it uh it, yeah just kind of came uh, out of us knowing each other for so long and i was just like i need i need some awesome music for this game would you like to work on me work on it with me? <laughs> you make awesome music yeah oh that's so great that's I, awesome. I love like that that theme song man that that nemo's theme that that he composed is such a beautiful track like i yeah. i was watching that day of the devs ending there with the gameplay it was bring, literally bringing me to tears it's just such a beautiful I, I just love the composition of it i love how in the bridge he goes in that kind of minor key and like it just like it, it just has this it captures the vibe of this game perfectly because it it brings that kind of chip sound into the modern age and um, and I think that's kind of the vibe I get from the game in general. You have very old school design philosophies, old school animation, old school music philosophies, but everything is sort of brought up to the current. And I, I think it's I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I was blown away when I first heard the, the Nemo's theme. I was just like, and, you know, Pete's one of my favorite musicians and it still blew me oh. away. I was just like, wow, this is so good. And then he followed it up. He like uh later on it's like here i've got this this new song and that was the moonlit waltz and i was just like i think i like this one even more like <laughs> it's, so oh, good. it's so good yeah i um yeah i've just i was i, I was really thrilled with how that because because we we talked a lot about it you know i told him about like the stuff i was thinking about like yeah it's kind of weird it's not like in your wheelhouse right like i'm thinking about you know, like Hector Berlioz and, and, uh, mm. you know, like Debussy and, and just like weird, like, like French, uh, classic yeah. music. And, and, uh, he, he kind of ran with it in this really, in this way that's like very Pete, but, um, yeah, it like kind of, like you said, kind of gets at this mix of old and new and it's kind of this new sound and it, it, that's 
yeah, we wanted to kind of like mirror what I'm trying to do with the game, which both visually and also like if you, you know, when you look at the game, you might not even notice it because you kind of might expect it a little bit, but like everything's grid based, like the world is all built on a grid, which right. I'm, you know, was part of trying to make it feel like an NES platformer. So everything is like, you know, there are fixed tile units and, you know, Nemo is two units tall and one unit wide and all the enemies are, you know, try to be roughly one unit um, squared and, um, and then, yeah, modernize that. And again, like kind of getting back to being inspired by the dragon's trap and the way they kind of like layered this coat of paint. I wanted to both layer that coat of paint on top of an old retro game you've never played, but then also bring in the modern amenities of like modern game design. So things like, the seamless world that loads in around Nemo as you move around. There's no like transition screens, like like in Super Metroid when you go to the end and then it kind of like that transition is really cool. The way it like blacks out and then keeps the door and Samus on screen and slides over. Um, but I wanted something more like um, it's kind of weird, but like Dark Souls was a heavy inspiration as well. Like the, that world. Oh sure, okay, sure. The, the way that world is built, like like geographically, mm-hmm. and the paths you take through it are so interesting it's brilliant yeah. yeah and it's like i know like a lot of that is just like not going to be doable in 2d like some of that you can only really get in a 3d uh map but i want to get at some of that and also the way that you just you never you never like load um or at least very rarely right in dark so you get picked up by the crow and stuff or uh, sure, sure. There's, a, there's a few instances but basically you're you're always in control of the character and the world is just kind of like loading in around you as needed so you're just playing the game and so, so i wanted to do that with this and so there are little modern uh things that i can introduce that couldn't have been possible before um that i want to bring in and like auto saving you know it's just like the game just kind of like saves for you as you go um, that's the sort of stuff I want to do. It's like still, still implementing some of those details, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, yeah, a mix of, of take, take this retro game, but like if someone made it today. Well, I mean, we were talking about transitions. You talk about, you know, influences from newer games that, that death animation is, or the, you know, defeat animation, the yeah. fail animation <laughs> is genuinely one of my favorite animations I've ever seen in a game. That is oh, gorgeous. That is yeah. absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> That kind of that was driven by that desire to keep Nemo always on screen. So when you play the game, you know as, as soon as you start it up, you see Nemo in bed, and the only time Nemo is gone is like you pan up and and see um, up and you know up past uh, Nemo's ceiling, and um, you see the logo. But it comes down, and then Nemo's in screen and it, um, on screen, and Nemo will just stay there until. Um, you know you're done if you, if you pause the menu might obscure nemo with like a blur but um essentially it just you i yeah i want i want the character to always be on screen the player is always playing i guess this is what i'm thinking and so the death animation or like the wake up animation came from that it was like okay i want nemo to just like suddenly be falling out of bed right like how do i how do i transition from this slumberland scene to the bed scene and so it's like all right i'll have to i that was where i kind of came up with the glass uh motif for nemo waking up which whenever nemo is hurt right it's like kind of like being pinched and you're gonna wake up uh you kind of see that glass shatter animation behind nemo and it's like the threat of 
slumberland falling apart and realizing like, oh, I'm, I'm back in bed. I'm on, well, not in bed anymore. I'm on the floor now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which of course was, you know, and then that very inspired by the original comics of, you know, every, at the end of every comic strip, you know, Nemo's mm-hmm. on the floor falling out of bed. So it's like, of yeah, I, like that, that has, like, that was something that had to be there. So. Well, we've talked about Nemo, we've talked about Flip and Bon Bon and the Princess and Morpheus, but this game is called Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland. (laughs) And I'm very interested, you know, obviously we've got a game here, but why is Nemo even doing any of this? Uh, yeah. You have this this character, this force, I guess, that's threatening Slumberland called Oblivion. Yes. And each, it looks to me as if each of the core areas kind of has their own guardian. That's kind of the motif, correct? Yep. Yeah. So Very who Mario are these three? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I can see that. Each yeah. each with, with their own king and... Uh, so, so what role are these guardians playing in guarding Slumberland against Oblivion? Yeah, so the the guardians are um, this new creation for for you know this story, mm-hmm. um, and they each protect their zone, um, but they've been transformed into animals. So they they all have you'll see in the in the pictures they Prince all have Mario animal. three. Yeah, they all have animal kigurumis. And they're um, they're they similar to Mario three. They've uh, lost their scepter, which kind of like gives them their power over. They're they're sort of like dream wardens working under Morpheus, if you will. They kind of you know his um, and, you know they kind of take care of each of these zones on behalf of Morpheus. Um, and with them um, unable to you know wield their their power the oblivion has kind of crept in um and uh yeah you need to uh you'll need to save each guardian and get them to you know push back the oblivion and that's something that um i didn't get to work into the the build that you played but um one component where is like each zone will kind of go through a little bit of a transformation where the oblivion will get pushed back out of that zone once you clear it, which mm. leaves room to kind of like hide some different pathways and stuff. Yeah. The oblivions like those like kind of spatial distortions around that make up a lot of the, the ground and the terrain when you enter into a tour, uh, when you enter into a biome, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's like this ever present hazard. And if you touch that Nemo will be, um, Nemo's under threat of waking up if he touches it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I found that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Find that out. yeah. So you, you um, the the oblivion, you know, is kind of like like forgetfulness. So that's that's the the dream being forgotten, right? So the the idea there is mm. like wherever the oblivion is, it needs to be kind of like, um, you know, it shouldn't. I'm I'm still I'll, I'll probably still tweak the the look of it a little bit. Like what I'm going for with that is it's sort of like it should look a little bit like a material, but it needs to look not like you know it's a thing in the world, but it's like, like otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, and so that's kind of it has that cracked glass motif around it, and uh, that that bright glow and kind of the the parallax of the layers. Um, we're all kind of trying to get that kind of surreality to it. Yeah. Well, I just, I just, I have one, one quick question about one small thing. I just, I, 
Yeah. Well, we talked about we talked about scepters with the guardians. Is Nemo maybe going to have like a shajama pajama moment? In this game <laughs> <or>? <laughs> I was, I was honestly like I wanted to avoid that because I, I um, <laughs> you know, not mostly because it's like I, I'd probably be fine, but I, I try to be careful about because um, you know, like anything that uh, TMS and Capcom introduced into the Nemo lore, they would own copyright on, um, and so the whole idea of Nemo wielding a scepter. Um, I I wanted to stay away from just so I didn't step on any toes and get any lawyers upset. Like, <laughs> oh, like Nemo holding a scepter? That's that's us. You know, I, like there are scepters in the comics, but like, yeah, that was that was kind of very their thing. So I've I've avoided that. So yeah, there's no no Shaz- Shazama pajama moment. But um, <laughs> yeah, I did I did want to like have the, these scepters in there, but those are. Kind of yeah, like more Mario three inspired. That's something that the um, the guardians wield. Lawyers being called in for a Nintendo game? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, it was. It's actually interesting. There seems to be quite a bit of uh, Nintendo love on on your end and sort of the Nintendo connection here. I mean, the game is targeting release for the end of next year. Uh, for PC and Nintendo Switch as your primary targets, there are other platforms as a possibility via things like stretch goals on the Kickstarter. But I mean, we've got the old NES Capcom Little Nemo game that we've referenced already. There's a Nintendo console in Nemo's room. I mean, there seems to be a lot of sort of Nintendo DNA here. Was, was it important for you to design this one with a Nintendo console in mind as a primary target? Yeah, I I really <laughs> I really wanted that to happen and it, it um at first I wasn't sure, you know, like I reached out to Nintendo one point and was like, "Oh, I'm working on this game. I want to be a Nintendo developer." And you know, I didn't really have things in a state that um it caught their eyes. So it's just like one of those things where your your email just goes into a well. And I was like, "I don't <laughs> even know how to become a Nintendo developer." And so I kind of like didn't I was like, "All right, that's on the back burner. I'll worry about that later." But um Actually, when when I got Pete on board, you know he's he's worked on Nintendo games before, right? Like working on the Scott Pilgrim, right? Of course, like, yeah. Let me, let me like see who I can get in touch with, and so you know, eventually we were able to um, get the game in front of the right people, and it was like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, like we'll we'll get you in the Nintendo Developer Program, and it was like, okay, that's all I needed. Like, like obviously, there's a lot of work to be done, um, but I, you know, I have a, a dev console, and so I've you know, was able to sort of prove out like, okay, I can get this, like, I can get this running on the Switch. You know, it's all, I'll need to make some performance adjustments because it's, you know, it's runs right now, runs at like, you know, mid fifties, uh, like mid 50 mm-hmm. FPS. And it's like, this is one of those things where like, I'm going to want it locked at 60 FPS. It's like, yep. if it's like, you know, a lot of, a lot of games on Switch go for 30 FPS. And it's like, I understand why, because it's like not the most powerful machine, but um, right. I I'm a big fan of like snappy, responsive, 60 hertz platforming action on on the Switch. So um, yeah, it was I it was sort of like I like this console a lot. Just kind of you know like on its own, the Switch is a great console. I would love to have it on there. It seems like it seems like the right user base. Like the people who own a Switch are the people I think who will enjoy this game more than anyone really. Like it's uh, mm-hmm. it just seems like the right um machine for this game but yeah like you said like there's there's a lot of like little nods to nintendo stuff and like the super nintendo in Mm -hmm. nemo's room 
and all of the inspirations it's like these are games that i played as a kid on like nes and and snes and it's um yeah so it's it's just one of those things where it's like it all kind of coalesces to like this this should absolutely be on a nintendo console like i'll, I'll be sad if it's not <laughs> well we agree <laughs> we agree it's just pure childhood nostalgia in a game i mean yeah. every everything about the game is just pure childhood nostalgia which is perfect for little nemo well we do have kind of a final question that we ask every independent developer that we get the opportunity to speak with and it's kind of interesting that you've already tapped into this a little bit because if you were to take us into that alternate reality where nintendo is like hey dave you can develop a game for any of our ip if you could develop up a Nintendo game based on any of Nintendo's IP given the opportunity which one would you choose and why Ooh, that's a tough <laughs> one um you know I right I I feel like there's probably better answers but I have to say this because it's where my where my brain first goes is like yeah I love Splatoon okay Ooh, okay, and, okay. Uh, you know like a brand new one right and it's like i would love to like take that and just make like a like 3d platformer or something like that with it um right because it's like I, I i really enjoy splatoon and it's uh i i also like competitive multiplayer games but like hey why not why isn't there like just a a splatoon single player like you know the game has that but it still feels like the same game it's like no no no, make a platformer out of this it's so rich with like the the stuff you could do with that um i think you could have a really interesting like 3d collectathon game yeah i could definitely I see that you're right yeah there, there's single player components there's the octo expansion that's all great but you're right it it it, it feels like it's just a part of the same competitive thing it, yeah. it feels exactly the same if it got its own side game yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see that. Yeah. A 3D collectathon platformer somehow also running on hand drawn artwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I, if I if I did it all again, I would probably um yeah, do something a little simpler because it the, <laughs> yeah, the hand drawn artwork is is uh it's very time consuming. Yeah. I I can't I even can imagine. imagine. Yeah. I'm all <laughs> yeah it doesn't it doesn't absolutely. help. I'm I'm like I feel like I'm a I'm a fairly slow uh i'm slow as an artist like that's not that's not like my 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 strong suit is like programming and stuff i think um and uh yeah so i'm very slow as an artist so i'd probably change that up a little bit if i if, you know in my, in my next game i don't i don't know if i'll go quite uh so hard on the on the like detail well i don't know i mean sure. there's a reason that games like there's a reason that games like the dragon's trap there's a reason that games like wario land shake it there's a reason that games like a boy in his blob there's a reason that games with this type of hand-drawn visual identity there's a reason that people remember them it's the reason that people that, that they still stick out in people's minds and there's a reason that they inspire developers like you is because there is just something amazing about that type of art style, like actually playing through that TMS Little Nemo movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm hopefully, um, hopefully the response will be such. I mean, so far it's been really great. Like uh, people have mostly been like super positive in, mm -hmm. in the response. So it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, it'll it'll be, it'll be a resounding success, and I'll be like, yeah, this worked out. I'll do it again. So. We'll see how, <laughs> how things turn out both with the you know with the Kickstarter and and uh, if if we can get the game made uh, then down the road with release. 
Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, the Kickstarter is available right now until June 30th, I think. Yes, um, I think June 30th is the final day. Uh, there is, of course, a link in the episode description to go over there and show all of your support to Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland. Yes. Um, I, I, can, I can just tell you guys, if it hasn't been obvious throughout the course of this conversation... I mean, so much passion in every frame of animation and all the music and the gameplay. I mean, like, th- this is just a special game. And you can tell even now, even in this early, you know, days of development, you can tell that this is something special. So we're, we're really looking forward to it. Eric and I couldn't back you on Kickstarter fast enough. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so we're both that- backers. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. So full disclosure there, but where can people follow you to kind of, after they've backed the game and, and given you all their money, where can <laughs> they follow you to stay up to date with the, the game's development and everything? Yeah. And um, the, probably the best place on social media would be Twitter, um, which is at Dysoft games. And uh, otherwise you can hop in the discord and yeah, if you want to hop in the discord, you can um, find that from the campaign page. Um, or, you know, from the bio and Twitter and, um, yeah, I'm happy to like, also like answer questions and stuff. I've got, you know, we've got a Q and a, um, channel in there. So if you want to pop in and if I, you know, if we missed a question here and you're like, oh man, I really want to know about this, then yeah. pop in the discord. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. Yeah, some of the people from the All In Community Discord. You you may see some faces over there from the All In crew. So (laughs) anyway, guys, links to everything will be in the uh, episode description. Go support the Kickstarter and support this special, special game. But uh, let's roll the red carpet one last time for Dave Moreau. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you you again, bud. Good luck with the Kickstarter. Good luck with the game. Can't wait to see it when it releases. Well, that was a great chat with Dave all about Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland. Again, live now on Kickstarter. You have until June 30th to give Dave all your support. I think it's clear just chatting with him. The the amount of love and passion. I mean, this is such a special game and we, we need to see it be realized yeah. fully. Yeah, it's only available. It's only up on Kickstarter until June 30th. Folks, I don't ask for much, but please do support <laughs> this awesome looking game. If you can, I would, I, I need to see this game get funded, not just because I'm such a massive Little Nemo fan, but because this game just looks so, so special. That's the reason we brought Dave onto the show in the first place. So I don't ask for much. Definitely go support this game if you can. Available on Kickstarter, uh, live on Kickstarter until June 30th. And if you do, definitely let us know you did. Let us know on Facebook. Let us know on Twitter. You know, join the conversation if you haven't already on Discord and let us know over there. There's a ton of ways that you can let us know, a ton of ways you can interact with us uh, over on youtube.com slash allinpodcast. Definitely check out all of those amazing Seth Next Quest videos that Seth has been putting up. It's Seth Next Quest. Seth Next Quest. <laughs> all those ama- I like that. We'll call it that. <laughs> I like that. All those amazing Steam Next Quest videos that Seth has been putting up all week with a ton of amazing looking forthcoming Nintendo Switch games. Make sure to check us out on twitch.tv slash allinpodcast. For those of you who joined us last night live when we did the news, thank you so much. Thank you to our patrons who joined us and thank you to our patrons Anyway, thank you so much for your support. Oh, yeah. We love you guys. And for those who somehow haven't already, make sure to check out All In, a Nintendo podcast, the podcast, which you can like, follow, and subscribe to over on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and so, so many other places. 
We just want to tell you how much we appreciate every single one of you guys uh, for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Namaste, dude. It's been yet another huge week. We're still on Nintendo Direct Watch, of course. We are. Very much Um, looking for that. But I mean, in the meantime, we certainly have enough to do between Mario (laughs) Strikers, between TMNT Shredder's Revenge, between Neon White and your insane obsession with cutting your times down. We've got Capcom Fighting Collection coming next week. We've got Pokemon Snap coming next week. There's actually too much for us to play right now, Seth, but we've got to go try to find some time while we're sitting here on Nintendo Direct Watch. We're keeping the dream alive, Seth. Keeping the dream alive. Keeping the dream alive, man. We'll we'll keep dreaming. We'll keep waiting. And hey, who knows? Maybe this time next week we'll be sitting here and talking about a Nintendo Direct. I would very much like that timeline. But until then, we'll catch you guys next week. I have been Mayor Eric Hagar. And I have been Seth and Punishment. We'll see you all next week. We love you very much. Bye. Bye. Go support Little Nemo on Kickstarter. (laughs) 